stupid, I'll slit your throat. You got him. I got him. We should take him below, Pelican. He's not Nightbreed. He's natural. No. I've killed people. I'm like you, that's why I'm here. Shut the fuck up. You're meat. If we eat him, we break the law. It's true. Everything's true. God's an astronaut. Ours is over the rainbow. The Midian's where the monsters live. And you came to die. I didn't come to die. I came to be with you. No. Sorry. I can smell innocence. At 50 yards. I've killed people. I've killed 15 people. Who told you that? What do you mean? He lied, asshole. You're natural. And that means... Welcome to this episode of the Movie Clamp Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, David, and this is my wife, Sherry. I'm on this episode. We'll be covering the film Nightbreed from 1990. This is a film I've been looking forward to doing for a while. I'm a big Clive Barker fan, and this is one of my favorites that he's done. This episode is going to be a little different before we start, you know, getting into everything. I watched the director's cut of the film. Sherry watched the theatrical cut of the film. By accident. By accident. <laughs> so there might be some gaps in uh, Sherry's discussion, but I, I, she did watch the director's cut, but she watched the theatrical cut to do her notes on. Uh, there might be, like I said, there might be some <clears throat> gaps in her uh, discussion, but the plus side is, is the actually the theatrical cut has some different things than the director's cut, and we can kind of go through that as we go along. I just wanted to say that right off the top before we get started here but uh outside of that i guess we'll go into our usual thing here what was your experience with nightbreed when did you first see this i saw this when i was younger um i remember watching it but it's a lot of stuff's vague yeah i don't remember a lot i don't think i watched it that many times you just remember kind of bits and pieces of it yeah 
This is kind of like a new watch because I didn't remember a lot. It's been so long since. Yeah, I've uh, I've encountered a few of them like that. You know, I remember when we did Bad Girls. That was very similar mm-hmm. to that one. Yeah, I I had no recollection hardly <laughs> of that one at all. But that's really your history on this one. Yep. Okay, mine was. I'm gonna give a little even more background on this. This was a film I was looking forward to when it came out because I was a big reader of Fangoria. And they covered this film extensively in there before it came out. All these creatures, I imagine so. I was already a big Clive Barker fan because of the previous film, Hellraiser. And I had been reading his books, you know, Books of Blood and things like that. And I just remember, uh, I think it was the Friday or Saturday night it came out. It was me and my girlfriend at the time. We went to go see this movie. And she kind of kept up with it as well in Fangoria. We walked out of the theater kind of confused because we were like, well, where were the rest of the monsters at? There's a lot more in it. And like, where was this stuff in it? Where was that? Mm-hmm. We liked the movie. I mean, we thought it was still decent, mm-hmm. but they seemed like it, it felt like there was stuff that was gone or something that was in there. Then, of course, we read the next issue of Fangoria. This is the pre-days before the internet where you got everything right away. There was no internet yet. So yeah. the next issue of Fangoria came out and told us how the film had been chopped up redone and everything and then we was like oh okay well that makes sense (laughs) and that was the version you could only see for years up until this director's cut came out thing i mean i'm gonna go into more of my review at the end but you know this is a film i watched many times over the years i'm a huge fan of it you know i'm actually kind of looking forward to talking about this because there's a lot to dig in on this movie and i'm kind of looking forward to going into that but I think uh, with that right there, uh, that's going to be the end of my background on this. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go into the trailer and then the cast and crew and the plot breakdown. Who's buried in Midian? Ain't nothing but dead folk. Somewhere. <laughs> hidden from sight. <laughs> closer than you might think. <laughs> is a place that's not on any map. Midian. Something's breathing there. It looks a lot like hell. But they call it home. There goes the neighborhood. They're not pretty. They're not neighborly. You'll come back now, you hear? They're not even human. But this time, they're the good guys. From the imagination of Clive Barker comes... Nightbreed. You can't go down there! They have only one enemy. A beast called man, sworn to destroy the Nightbreed. Sounds like we're going head to head with the devil himself. And only one chance. A man Boone! called Boon. It's time to fight! That we got there are so much out of your deepest fears and your darkest fantasies clive barker brings you a startling new breed of adventure i won't let you down night breed at last the night has a hero outstanding Okay, Nightbreed from 1990. First off, we're going to start with director Clive Barker. 
he hasn't directed a lot of films. Outside of this one, he directed the original Hellraiser. And then after this, he directed Lord of Illusions. Now, he did do two short films that were made when he was, I think, in college called The Forbidden and Salome, which I have seen. And those are pretty interesting films. They're kind of art films, kind of black and white kind of art films. And you can get them on, I think you can buy them on DVD and stuff. They're well worth watching if you haven't seen them. I mean, they're very short. They're like maybe 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long. But they're well worth looking at. I don't guess, have you ever seen Hellraiser or Lord of Illusions or anything? Hellraiser I saw a long time ago. The Lord of Illusion, you don't think? I don't think I've seen that. Okay. Y'all, I said he hasn't directed anything since Lord of Illusions and judging by... His uh, issues, not only with this movie, but Lord of Illusions, I think directing films pretty much is just something he don't care to do anymore. But uh, after that, we'll jump into the regular cast here. And uh, our first cast member is Craig Sheffer as Boone. And he's been in such films as A River Runs Through It, Some Kind of Wonderful, The Program, and he was in Hellraiser Inferno. I haven't seen him in too much of anything outside of this movie. I loved him in One Tree Hill. I've never seen it. Yeah, show. he was a pretty good character. Oh, he was in that show? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've seen him in pop-up in a few different things here and there. Of course, Hellraiser Inferno and things like that. Some kind of wonderful, I remember. But I don't know. I, I don't even know if he really does much of any kind of acting anymore. I guess, obviously, One Tree Hill, he was in that. And that's a fairly recent show. Yeah, I mean, I assume he's still working now. And next we go to Ann Bobby as Lori. And she's been in such films as uh, Beautiful Girls, The Pickup Artist, Born on the Fourth of July, and Finding North. And I think she was mainly like a stage actress, you know, like works on Broadway and things like that. She's, you know, she kind of leans a little bit more toward that than actual film act. And next we go to David Cronenberg as Dr. Decker. And he's mainly known as a film director for films such as Shivers, the Fly, and Videodrome. And of course, uh, the previous episode that I did, which was The Dead Zone, he directed that. I didn't mean to do two different things of David Cronenberg <laughs> in two episodes, but it just kind of fell that way. But he has acted in, in things such as uh, he was in uh, Jason X, Resurrection, and he's done TV shows such as Alias, Star Trek Discovery, and he was on that TV series Slasher. The season of the show that seems a lot of people hate, but you and I liked it. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, I know. A lot of people didn't like it for some reason. I don't really understand why. Well, we don't really have any comparison because we didn't watch any of the other seasons. Uh, no, no. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe the other seasons were better. I don't they know. They were on Netflix. I believe this so. This was on... Um, a Shutter. Shutter, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's still directing films now. He does still do some acting here and there, too. That Star Trek Discovery is fairly recent. Next, we go to Doug Bradley as Lylesburg. And he was, of course, played Pinhead in the Hellraiser movies. He was in uh, one of the Pumpkinhead sequels, Ashes to Ashes. He was in one other Clive Barker film, Book of Blood, that was uh, based on some of uh, one of Clive Barker's stories. And he was in Wrong Turn 5. But I think he's mainly another one who's a little bit more of a stage performer than he does films. I mean, you know, I think the Hellraiser films were his kind of bread and butter there for a long time. And next we go to Charles Hayde as Sergeant Igerman. And he was in films such as uh, Altered States and a film called Cop, which is very good. And he was in TV series such as Harry O, Gunsmoke, Kung Fu, and The Waltons. And next we uh, go to Hugh Ross as Narcisse. And he's been in 
films such as Patriot Games and Hannibal Rising, and on TV such as Dreamwatch, Crown Court, and Lovejoy. And I thought he was very good in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he was like one of my favorite characters in this movie. In the two versions, he has two different fates. But we will get to that as we go along in there, too. Now we go to Oliver Parker's Peliquin. And he was uh, mainly in TV, such as Lovejoy, The Bill, Matlock, and Casualty. But he's mainly a, like a, a director now. He did a version of Othello with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, an adaptation of Dorian Gray, and he did Johnny English Reborn, which I have never seen. That. I've heard of it, but I've never seen that. Yeah, he hasn't done anything since 2001. Yeah, I don't know if he's kind of retired or if he's uh, just doing other things now. And the last one I have is Hugh Quarshire. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. And this is uh, Detective Joyce. Now, he's been in such films as Red Sparrow. He was in Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, Star Wars, of course. He was in The Church and Highlander. And a film I think you know of, Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. <laughs> yes, yes, the little the, dinosaur. The little baby uh, brontosaurus movie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I thought because I, I thought I've seen that Blu-ray or something up there here recently. I was like, oh yeah. So and he was in that. But do you have anybody that you want to speak of or anything? No. Uh, like I said uh, at the opening here, Sherry is gonna have some different things and certain points to say, and I'm gonna be adding things in that she probably didn't have in her notes. Uh, but like I said, we'll we'll get through this just fine. I guess as we open the film, we're hearing the score from Danny Elfman, which is another thing we didn't plan to do because Danny Elfman did the score on our last movie, <laughs> Beetlejuice. But, yeah, you know, we're just tying it all in together here <laughs> by completely by accident. And we see these uh, kind of graphics on, I guess, what you would say, the wall of prophecy. Yeah, this is kind of like how the Egyptians wrote on the wall yes, to, yes. like, represent their history. Mm-hmm. And maybe trying to predict the future. Yeah, there's like a lot of demonic looking images. Yeah. Yes. And we come to a one of the last graphics is of a monster holding a man who looks like he was eating him or bit him. Which will come into play later mm -hmm. on. And then we hard cut to the opening and there are monsters. You see these things in the fog and in the darkness just running around and looks like a cemetery and you can't tell if they're attacking something or if they're just kind of dancing they're just running they're yeah. running and kind of dancing in the cemetery they seem happy like i wrote i wrote a uh, note that this scene reminds me they're running towards this huge gate it seems like a musical or something almost when they're going through the gate. Yeah, like dance, like yeah. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I can see. Yeah, I mean that's what you could sit there and look at it both ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just can't really tell. We see a man wake up, but before he wakes up, as he's waking up, I mean, you hear something in the dream that says, save me from my enemy. So he's waking up and that's one of the things he hears in his mm -hmm. dream. This is our main character, Boone. And he kind of wakes up from this and his girlfriend, Laurie, is right there beside him. Yeah, she's sitting on the bed and she asks him if he's okay and if he wants anything to eat. He says he doesn't and... I think she climbs on top of him and says they should leave town for, you know, just get away for a little bit. Yeah, get away from everything, all um, the stresses, you know, bad from, dreams. from his bad dreams. So he must be having these a lot. He says he's kind of beginning to like the dreams. Well, he says yeah. they're not as bad as they were, or he's getting used to them. 
as uh, Lori lays back down with him, he said, uh, Decker's been calling. The last week, and she was like, what does he want? Yeah. She's like, I don't know. I haven't answered him. Yeah, and Lori's just like, well, call him up and, and see what he wants. He and may can help he you. He may can help you. Then we cut to a scene a short time later of Boone coming down from the stairs, and the phone's ringing. And he answers the phone, and it's Decker on the phone. And Decker wants to see him. You know, he says, it's been a while. It's been four months since I've yeah. seen you. This scene's not in mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was like one. Of, this is one of the first of the scenes that uh, Sherry doesn't have. Boone says, "Well, I'm busy today," and then Decker says, "Tomorrow, then." And Boone says, "Okay, you know, I'll see you tomorrow." He hangs up the phone, and Decker is sitting there at his desk with a case open, and he's looking inside the case, and he just says, "God help us both." And then we cut to a home in like a suburb. This is just like a typical kind of American mm-hmm. kind of home. Husband and wife are wrestling on the couch. Yeah. He's they're tickling and yeah, annoying her. Yeah. The, you know, like, like husband, me and you on the couch. Yeah. Like husbands do. <laughs> yeah. Like husbands annoy their wives. You know, that's, that's just par for the course here. Uh, Sherry don't tickle me. She just punches me and does things like that. So, you know, that's why I got all the, you know, black eyes and stuff all the time. You know, he she jumps up out of the recliner and just goes to toward the kitchen. Yeah. And then her son is like up there and she's just like, Why what's wrong? Why are you awake? He tells her he heard a bad man. Yeah, he heard a bad man. Oh man. <laughs> and if you really look at this scene and even the next scene later with this boy, you can see a tear in his eyes. Like he is frightened. And, but, you know, the mom says, oh, you just, you yeah. know, kind of had a bad dream. Just go back to bed, honey. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. But, yeah. That she'll come up later and see him. Yeah. She heads into the kitchen and notices kind of like the back door is open. Yeah, it's kind of a jar. Off the porch. So she goes and she kind of looks. There's nobody there and she shuts the door. Mm-hmm. She goes back in the kitchen. She opens the frig- the freezer. Yeah, freezer. Part of the refrigerator. and. Mm-hmm. Looks like she gets like fries or something out of in a bag. Yeah, she's just kind of rustling around to try to get something, I guess, something to maybe lay out for dinner the next night. And she, when she closes the freezer door, there's someone standing right there in a white mask. That's a button face mask. Button eyes and a zipper mouth. This person slashes her with this like big kind of machete kind of knife. About he two does or three times. two times. He slights her throat and then he slices her on the face. And then she stumbles back and just like goes down the wall. This part's creepy where he's just walking around looking down yeah. at her. Yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? And I know it has one of those little cool shots where she has like tomatoes in her hand. And the tomatoes roll out of her hand uh-huh. and there's blood on the tomatoes. And, and you they, can see a, the It rolls blood across the floor right. giving like blood pattern Yeah, blood, on blood pattern floor. on the floor. And then this button face killer turns off the light in the living room. And the husband is sitting in there. He just kind of looks behind Do him. Do you know why he did that? What? In my opinion, he did that so the husband wouldn't see the reflection of him in the TV coming could, up behind him. That could him. be. That could be. I didn't think about that, but yeah. Because if you can see the light, mm-hmm. you could see him moving. Yeah, yeah. That could be it. And this button face uh, killer comes in, cuts the husband's throat in the chair. And then we see a scene of the sun still at the top of the stairs. And this killer comes into frame. And he walks up the stairs, and this little boy, you can see tears in his eyes. Oh, no. And you don't see what happens to the boy, but you can imagine. I imagine he got sliced, too. It's not good. 
then we cut to a scene that I don't think is in Sherry's version. And this is Boone at work. He's no. a car mechanic. And he's uh, just sitting there uh, working on a car. And then somebody tells him, hey, uh, Boone, uh, Lori's here. And she walks in. And, you know, she's like dressed up. You know, I guess she's ready because she's going to be going to say something here shortly. Like she's going to be going out to the club later. You know, and if Boone is going to meet her there. And he says, yeah, he says, uh, you know, I got to, I think something like I got to go see Decker or something like that. And then I'll be there this evening while you're there. And then she basically is like, don't be late, you know, and then mm -hmm. she uh, leaves. And then we cut to a scene in Decker's office and Boone is there. I always find it interesting when I think about, you know, some of these evil people in this movie. But his, Decker's office is very sterile. There's not it, hardly anything in it. Yeah, outside of some masks yeah. that are mm -hmm. decorating the, mm -hmm. the room. It's a very sterile environment. He tells Boone that most doctors would have walked away from his case, but he found Boone intriguing. Yes. Like his talk of monsters. Yeah, talk of monsters in Midian. And he says, you know, how he says he kind of created this own private mythology for himself. You know, a yeah. place to escape from... Yeah, escape. Yeah, it's a place to escape to escape from his sins. And Boone tells him they're just dreams and monsters don't exist. And Midian doesn't exist. Doctor said, uh, Decker, Decker, Decker. Oh Lord, my brain tonight. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. Decker says, but murder exists. He says murder is very real and it might start in the mind, but will change to flesh and blood. Mm. Yeah, and then Decker walks over to Boone in a chair. And he says, the police brought me some photos. Of a recent murder. Yeah. Two days ago. Yeah. He says, uh, I want you to, uh, you know, look at these. He said, they asked me if any of my patients might, could have done anything like that. Done anything like this. You know, Boone's just kind of looking at him like, what? Yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he don't understand what he's yeah. getting at. Boone looks at these photos and Decker's sitting there saying, basically, telling him in a nutshell, you described these murders, these names, these faces, and the recordings that you did, he we said, did of your sessions. He said, you described actual houses and actual faces, and these are the faces in these pictures. Yes. Uh, six families in 10 months have been killed like this. Boone's getting upset. He's starting to doubt himself, like, did Here's, I do that? Yeah, and Decker says, well, you want to hear it on the tapes and mm -hmm. Boone's like no and he slams the recorder down and then he just kind of goes over to the window just trying to get his thoughts together yeah. on this because he's like I couldn't have done this there's no way mm -hmm. and Decker walks over to him and gives him some pills he says here take these you know they'll help you yeah they'll mm -hmm. help you and he says uh, something about he wants him to turn himself in. He has 24 hours yeah. to go to the police and confess. Yeah, and turn. And it shows Boone take one of those pills. Yeah, he's take, he takes, well, I think he takes more than one, it looks like. I think he took one there, but then he tried to take, he was taking more later. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I know it seemed like he just took, I don't mm -hmm. know, he had his hand the way it looked. It like he had about two or three in his hand, but I'm not yeah. really sure. Yeah, it's like you said, he wants him to turn himself in. He has 24 hours. And then, in my version, we cut to a scene of Boone back at home. And he is like, you can tell he is hallucinating. He's tripping on 
whatever he had taken because yeah. he's walking around he's grabbing stuff out of his drawers he's burning papers on the floor mm -hmm. like almost like a little bonfire and then he hallucinates uh, himself walking down these stairs in this pair of tidy whities <laughs> yeah he's sitting in the chair watching it, an image of himself yeah him, him and himself with Lori. Oh, and it's yeah. like it's kind of like it's images on top of each other yeah, it's almost like sex, a, yeah. yeah it's like a strong hallucination that he's having mm -hmm. and you can just look at his face and tell that he is just he is he's not tripping him, yeah he's tripping pretty bad and then we cut to a scene of the club and Lori's in there singing this crowd is just enjoying it she's enjoying herself i mean it's just it seems like i guess she's got kind of a singing career that she's been going with because yeah. apparently she's been doing this for a while because she's got a nice little crowd there. Mm -hmm. And then we see Boone coming in and he's kind of walking through the crowd and you can tell he's just still trying to shake this off, whatever it is, and he's mm -hmm. just having trouble doing it. And Lori kind of spots him out in the crowd as she's singing. And I think she even kind of looks and she can tell like, well, something's yeah. not right I'm here. Right with him, yeah. And he just looks up at her in this kind of confused look and he turns around and just walks out. And then after her song's over, she kind of, you know, goes to the crowd and then walks to the door and just looks around out there and he's not there. He's gone. And if my memory is correct, this is the last time she sees him alive. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, then we have a scene we cut to where Lori's back at her place. She calls Boone because he's not there, and she leaves him a message that she thought he was coming to her house, but he's not there. So yeah. she tells him, when you get this message, come to my house. Yeah, because you can tell she's kind of concerned because... Yeah. she saw him earlier, yeah, and she, he didn't seem right. Yeah, there's something that seemed off about him. And this is the point we cut to a scene of Boone is like walking in traffic. And these cars are swerving around him, and you can tell he's just kind of di very disoriented. And you get, he keeps getting flashes of those murder photographs. Yes. Then, it was about this time, you see like an 18-wheeler coming toward him, mm -hmm. and it's honking its horn, yeah. and it's like screeching its tires. And then we cut to a scene in the hospital. Boone is there, and the doctors are looking over him. Boone seems a little more lucid now. I don't know if he got, he must have gotten clipped by that truck or something. Yeah, that he's, got he's got cuts all over him, so he did get tumbled or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He got kind of popped by that truck, but maybe not hard enough. Maybe, you know, it kind of knocked him down or something. The doctor asked him, what's he been taking tonight? Yeah. And he says, lithium. Lithium. And the doctor's like, no, no, that ain't what you've been taking. He says, it seems like a lab quality hallucinogenic. Yeah, yeah like something, very, yeah. a strong hallucinogen. He's not even thinking of Decker. I guess at first he's like, he's confused on why he would feel this way. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense. You know, I thought this was lithium. Decker told him it would help him. It would help him, but no, it mm, didn't. No. And then we cut to a scene. I guess this is kind of like a recovery room. I couldn't really tell exactly what it was. I mean, I thought it was either a recovery room or a psych ward or something. Boone is like laying there in a the bed and he hears somebody take me to Midian. Please come. Please mm -hmm. come for me. Take me to Midian. And Boone just kind of wakes up and he hears this, you know, as he's kind of walking toward the person talking. And Boone asks this man what he knows about Midian. The man says, shut up. Yeah, shut up. That yeah. they won't come and they won't show themselves in front of the likes of Boone, of him. Yeah, and this uh, character, his name is Narcisse. 
Midian is the same place that Boone's been dreaming about. So that's why he's like, what do you know about Midian? Yeah, what do you know about it? Yeah, because it's just interesting that this person knows about a place that he thought he was creating for himself in mm. his dreams. But no, this no. guy knows about it as well. Man says it's, it's where the monsters go and, it, and that it takes away the pain. Yes. They only take you if you're worthy. The man asks Boone what he knows about Midian. And Boone says... It's where you go and they forgive you. And the man kind of nods. Boone says they can go to, there together. He just needs him to tell him where it is. God kind of gets on his knees in front of Boone and says they sent Boone to take him yes. with him. Yes. Boone kind of nods his head and like agrees with the man. He's going along with him, you know. He said, yeah, we can go together, but I need you to tell me where it is. Narcisse stands up and takes him to the window and points out. And he's like, it's, he points to places like north of As, As, A- Alabasta. Yeah, I think that's and what it is. And east on Peace Road. I think that's what he said. East of Peace River. A river. And north of Dwyer. So he kind of just lays out, that is your way to get to Midian. What is his name? Narsa? Narcisse. Narcisse. I always want to keep saying narcissist. No. No, <laughs> we, we got other ones in there. It's maybe like that later. Narcisse. He reminds him, you know, he's worthy to go to Midian with him. Yeah. And Boone just kind of says, okay. And then he turns around to like walk away from him. The man, you know, Narcisse stops him and says, he knows he has to show him his true face. Yeah. Narcisse has these little thumb knives. Yes. Kind of things that you can stick on your thumb like rings. And but how did he get like, hold of those? The first was, thing they do when you take you go to a psych where they take everything from you, you could hurt yourself with. Well, that's why I wondered why I was sitting there thinking, was this a psych ward? I didn't know if it was just like a place that before they put you somewhere, just like a waiting room or like a recovery. That, that could be it too. Or something because it was weird that they were in there together. Well, that's what kind of threw me off that he was in there in a psych ward, but he had like knives. Like yeah. These knife things. Cause I was like, you wouldn't have that in a psych and ward. also the doors weren't locked. Yeah, there you go. That's a thing yeah. too. So, I mean, I'm not sure, but got these <clears throat> blades and he says, I know I need to show you my true face. Oh... And he takes these knives to himself. Boone tries to stop him. He starts digging them in his face. He starts digging them in his face. Helps himself with these knives. Ugh. I mean, it's it's a pretty brutal scene. And he's just sitting there like holding his his hair. Yes. Or scalping his own hands. Ugh. And Boone's just backing off. Shows Decker out in the hallway. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, He's with the police. Um, And these, these police are from Calgary. One of them, his name is Joyce, uh, Detective Joyce. Yes, and the doctor that, you know, he was, that Boone was talking to earlier about the medicine. Yeah. And Decker's kind of filling them in on Boone's mental history. Boy, this is way before HIPAA, wasn't it? He was just telling him everything about him. Yeah. They hear a woman screaming ahead of them and they kind of run. And that's when you see... Narcisse. Narcisse. Is like you said, he has his hands all, his hair all in his hands. He's completely scalped himself. Ooh. Yeah, now here's the funny thing about it it's a little thing. In the version you have, you hear a woman screaming. You didn't hear it? No. Oh, because okay. it wasn't supposed to be a woman screaming because Narcisse didn't sound like a woman when he was screaming. 
This was the woman in there. It was, there was no woman in the room yet. Oh, I thought it was a nurse no, that no. had seen it and mm -mm. was no. letting everybody know. No, I think that was an error in the editing oh. of that scene. <laughs> you know, Boone's kind of still standing there in horror looking at this guy do this. And everybody kind of runs in the room and he tells them help him, you know. Yeah. And he, run, he kind of eases his way out of the room. And he runs into Decker out in the hallway. Yeah, Decker's standing at the end of the hallway looking yeah. at him. And Boone looks at Decker and he just takes off. You notice what Decker had on? No. The long black jacket? Oh. First uh, time I saw him, I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes me wonder when I look at this movie now, if you are supposed to know, watching this cold, if Decker's actually the killer at first. I saw him, when I saw him in that jacket, I was like, hmm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Seems like he wouldn't have wore that. Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but <laughs> I think, um, well, Decker to me is a whole other thing I want to get into as we yes. go along. Yeah, like I said, of course, when Boone spots Decker, Boone just runs out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then we cut back to inside the hospital. The doctor comes out of, I guess, whatever we call it, the psych ward or the waiting room or whatever this room was. And he says that. You know, Narcisse, he basically says this man, he wants to die. He's he's talking, but he doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. And as the doctor walks off, Decker says maybe if he if he says the right thing, the man, you know, Narcisse will talk to him. Yeah, he says he knows how Boone thinks. He knows how he manipulates people. He says, let me go in and talk to him. Maybe I can get something for you. And Joyce seems to be a little reluctant about this mm -hmm. at first, but he's like, Okay, just... Go. I kind of always wondered, because the way that Joyce would look at him sometimes, like whether he didn't totally think he was telling the truth all the time, or did he really believe what he was saying? No, that's a good question. I don't know. I think I think really at this stage in the game, Joyce has no reason not to trust uh, Decker. And, you know, Decker uh, just is like, okay, you know, he grabs his bag. He walks in, he says, well, I'll see what I can do. He says, I need some privacy. And I need some privacy. Yeah, which, uh, yeah. He goes in and he shuts the curtain across the window and the scene kind of ends. Yeah, because Narcisse, you can see him laying in the bed. His whole body's like shaking. Shaking, shaking yeah. like he's like well, he he's dying. Yeah, so needless to say, he's uh, not in good shape. And then we cut to a scene of Boone driving. And Boone is one of the worst drivers ever because, boy, when I was sitting there watching him, boy, he was going into middle lanes. and well, you know, he's still drugged up. Yeah, well, maybe so. Maybe he's still got a little bit of drug thing going on. And he just, I mean, apparently this is a long drive because he's going for a little bit. But then he finally pulls into this, like, old area. It's like, you know, all the brush is overgrown. Mm -hmm. And it's like this old cemetery it looks similar to his dream yeah very similar the to grass his dream. is high like they the monsters were running through yeah he sees the big gate yeah and this place is like out in the middle of nowhere really it's mm -hmm. like you know there's nothing out here outside of the cemetery it's it's a really cool looking cemetery got lots of like gothic statues and i, I will say this too yeah i will kind of piggyback on what you were saying there is that the production design on this is really good. Like you'll say in the statues. Graveyard is almost a cross between a set and matte paintings. They both look really good. And Boone just kind of starts walking around in this cemetery, just looking around, taking it all in. And then we cut to a scene of the sun going down. We 
cut to a scene. I guess this is a short time later. Boone wakes up and there's a dog lapping his face. Little Boston Terrier. Yeah, and Boone is just startled and he raises up and the dog just takes off. I thought he kicked the dog at first. No, no, he just startled I the think, dog yeah, was on his chest. And, yelped and ran off. Yeah, yelped and ran off. You see a man nearby walks down the stairs carrying that dog and this is... Unaka. And I wanted to give a little background. This is one of the first breed that we see. I wish I'd had time to read that book. Then I'm still going to yes. go back and read it. Yeah, now this is, I'm going to maybe pop in with this book here and there. This is a book called The Nightbreed Chronicles. And this book came out around the time the movie came out. I bought this book the night I went and seen the movie. It was uh, like at a bookstore. Because as soon as I seen the movie, I was like, I heard this book was out. And I went to the bookstore, me and my girlfriend, and I picked this book up. Okay, Onaka has tattoos all over his body. And he's a boy who was claims he was born with them. These tattoos were put on him by angels from the feathers of angels who, like, I guess, dipped the ink in the, uh-huh. their, and they wrote the tattoos on him. There's a lot more here. I can't read the whole thing. But that's why the tattoos you see on him, because he was such a beautiful baby, is basically, in, you know, to sum up. And he's not monster looking he's very normal like a normal looking guy yeah but he cannot go out and and yeah yeah but i said boone sees unaka and he's walking around trying to find this guy because he sees him but yeah then here's a growl you feel safe to say no that can't be this guy you would think and And it shows unaka walk out of sight he walks out of the frame as boone is kind of walking around he's kind of backing away a guy comes up behind him is kind of got a face like shaped like a half moon this is kinski and he grabs him and puts a knife to his throat another monster comes out of the shadows and this is peliquin because kinski said here's you hear another voice say you got him kinski said yeah i got him i got him and then that's when you that's when peliquin like peliquin not peliquin peliquin (laughs) Peliquin. comes out boone asked if they're from midian and um kinski tells peliquin that they should take boone to lylesburg lylesburg Boone says, or Pelican says Boone is... You said Pelican is, too. Oh, Peloquin. <laughs> Peloquin. Says Boone is not Nightbreed, that he's a natural. And Boone tells Peloquin that he's killed people and that's why he's there. And Peloquin says, shut the fuck up. Yeah, shut the fuck <laughs> and up. And that Boone is meat. Yeah. He says something like, what, what was it? Well, Kinski says they can't eat Boone because it'd be breaking the law. Boone says... Is all this real? And Pelequin says everything is real. That God is an astronaut. Yeah. Oz is over the rainbow. And Midian is where the monsters live. Yeah. And where Boone came to die. Boone says he didn't come to die and that he came to be with them. And he says he's killed before. He says he's killed 15 people. Puts his hand on his skin and, and he sm- smells it. He says, I smell innocence. Yeah. From 50 yards. Boone is like, you know, but I have killed. And he said, and Pelican's like, who told you that? Who told you that? And Boone's like, why? He says, because he lied to you, asshole. Whole scene, Pelican's eyes are starting to light up blue. Yes. This yeah. is the coolest scene in the movie to me. Oh, really? I love the scene. Yeah. His eyes are like lighting up blue. Yeah. So it's like Pelican can tell Boone's innocence. Yes. He hasn't killed anybody. Pelican, um... Says, you're a natural and you're meat for the beast. Oh, shit. <laughs> and Pelican just kind of turns. I mean, he already looks like a monster already. He becomes even almost more feral looking. 
than he already was. They almost remind me of like the Yurikai from Lord of the Rings. I never thought of that. You know, the ones down in that they made in the pit. What was Isengard? Saruman was making. Just the way the makeup looks. I can see that. I didn't think of that till you just said it, but I could see that for sure. He's taking his jacket off and he's like looking like he's about to do something. Uh oh. Yeah. And he goes up and Kinski's trying to stop it. Pelican's just to a point where he's like, fuck the law. He grabs Boone and he says, I won't meet. Bites him on the shoulder. Yeah, bites him like on in the chest or in the shoulder area. And Boone screams, of course, which naturally you would. <laughs> and Boone just kind of knocks Kinski out of the way and he takes off. Well, he punches Pelican oh, and too. He punches Pelican, that's right. And he takes off. Pelican and Kinski go after Boone. As Boone kind of runs by this, almost it looks like where you, like a little window or vent yeah, looking thing, yeah. and you can hear people chanting yeah and, and banging on drums banging on the wall but like, it, like it kind of makes the music sound like drum beats yeah drum as beats. he's running yeah. yes boone just keeps running and then kinski kind of pops out of place and tells him get out of here go 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 you know kinski i think is wanting to obey the law and he just tells him get out yeah, of here get he's out trying of here. to help him find to help where him the find, gate is find his way out Pelican is, of course, in hot pursuit because he wants to finish his meal, I guess, basically, is what, what he's looking for. Kinski grabs hold of Pelican and restrains him, following Boone, but he breaks loose and starts running again. And as they're running after Boone and they're getting toward the fence, because Boone has just made it to the fence, mm-hmm. or the front, front fence. He goes through it. He goes through it, and Pelican and Kinski stop, and he smells. He's like, what is it? He's yeah. like, something natural something natural yeah and they don't go through the gate after him even though it's night they could yeah they could went after him if they wanted yeah but something stopped them they just kind of go back to where they came from yeah they just kind of run back into the cemetery and boone is like walking around walking through the brush and he of course it's night i guess and he can't see that well well he seems a little bit disoriented because he's blood loss and yeah well he was bitten and probably by what he's seen too it ain't like it's every day where you see two monsters coming (laughs) inside of a inside of a cemetery like that and he is just walking you know moving the brush out of the way and all of a sudden he's police lights yeah before that came on this thing gave me like huge jump scare i thought something's gonna jump out of him i was just like don't do it i hate jump scares (laughs) Suddenly, these headlights car headlights come on and right in his eyes yes yes well at least you didn't get your jump scare i was waiting for it but it didn't happen like that I could see you tense up. When it, and, and Boone's just like looking and the police tell him, don't move, we got you surrounded and everything. And then you hear Decker saying, Boone, don't do anything. Just yeah. stay where you're at. Listen to them. Listen to them. They tell him to freeze, that he's under arrest. And Decker's kind of walking towards him. Joyce says, let me go talk to him. I can maybe know how to talk to him. And he starts toward Boone. He tells Boone that they know everything. He's told them everything. Yes. That they're not going to hurt him. And Boone is just like confused. He said, I didn't do anything. And yeah. And, and Decker just looks at him just like calmly. Because like, of course you didn't. Of course you did Boone asked him, does he really believe him? And he says, yes. And almost immediately he spins around and screams that Boone has a gun. I was and, like, what? Decker runs out of the way and they just shoot the shit out of him. And I like man. how they didn't even give Decker hardly a chance to I get know. out of the way. They just started firing. I mean, no. I'm just like, wow, you know, they just, you know, they they were trigger happy. See, I told you Decker was bad news. Yeah, yeah. He just straight up. Yeah, he was bad news, yeah, because Decker gets out of the way and they just 
Swiss Mo, cheese. Yeah, Mo Boone down right there. Pop walks up to Boone's body and he's he's dead. Detective Joyce walks up and he just looks at down at Boone and everything. And Decker walks up and he goes, where's his gun? And Decker's like, well, he reached into yeah, his jacket. Yeah, he reached in his jacket. So I guess that was cause enough, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it was another scene where the cop kind of looks at him like, yeah, really? Yeah. And then yeah. the kind, the scene kind of ends showing Boone's dead body laying on the ground. Yeah. Now, I can't remember the theatrical cut if things went this way because Lori's at the morgue. She's at the hospital identifying Boone's body. Yeah. Yeah. And after that scene, it shows a man taking Boone's body down to the morgue. And did you see the writing on one of the freezers as he walks through the door? Mm-mm. I thought it was going to ha- mean something for the story. It says high risk of infection, but it's not like paper on there. It's like spray painted in red on this locker. That's weird. That a body, uh, I was like, what is. Th- I mean, you know, usually if there was something like a body had been sick or something, they would put like some paper on it or something. Yeah, yeah. But it was like somebody took a red paint can and uh, sprayed high risk of infection. I've watched this movie a number of times. I've never noticed that <laughs> I before. was like, oh, that means something. And then I was like, no, it no, doesn't. It doesn't mean I just anything. doesn't. I don't understand why, why that was there. I've never seen it. I, I have to admit, I mean, I guess next time I watch it, I'm going to look for that this time. I don't know. I never know stuff. Well, when before. I'm making notes, I tend to look at every little thing like, yeah. that means something. And then I was like, nah, yeah. it doesn't. And then the man just keeps kind of pushing Boone's body into like the autopsy room. Yeah, yeah. They're about to do the autopsy. Like I said, I can't remember the theatrical cut. Does it go to an interview room? Yeah, Lori's in there with Decker and Joyce. Decker's telling Lori that she meant the world to Boone and that he talked about her all the time. And she she comments that Boone talked about Decker a lot, too. The policeman tells Lori she doesn't have to talk about anything right now. They can do it later. She tells him she'd rather get over, get it over with. And he asked her what her relationship was with Boone. And she tells them that they were lovers. Like they weren't together. I'm assuming so in some, yeah. I, you never got a beat on how long their relationship had been. Because she doesn't I mean, say that was my boyfriend or whatever. She just says yeah, we were lovers. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you never know how long. I mean, it's never really laid out how long they've been together. Or maybe that's how she describes yeah. being with someone. Yeah. Now, does this scene intercut with the autopsy being done on Boone? Yeah, it goes back and forth. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah we go to the autopsy of Boone's body and... The guy says, possible cause of death, gunshots. Yeah. yeah. What? They shot the hell out of him. Yeah, it was more than... That's yeah. definitely what killed him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the man comments that Boone has an unspecified animal bite on yeah, his shoulder. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, I was going to get to that. And out of all the gunshots, there's also a, a animal, animal bite. bite. On a, yeah. And then we cut back to the autopsy, or not the autopsy, in the interview room. And Laura's just sitting there saying, you never hurt me. He never hit me. Yeah, he never raised a hand to me. Yeah. He's never hurt anybody in his life. And that's yeah. not describing him as they expect her to. And then the funny thing comes out of Decker's mouth is everyone has a secret, secret face. Secret face. This man. He's always trying to spin reality when he's talking to people. Yes. And Lori wants to know where he died. Back to the autopsy yeah. ending. Boone's body's just kind of left on the table. Which is strange, right? They should put him in a freezer. Or maybe the guy doing the autopsy is just taking a break and he's going to come back and Well, finish. the guy turned the light out like oh, they were leaving. Or maybe he's going for lunch or something. Well, a lot of autopsy people or people, morgue attendants, tend to eat their lunch while they're doing oh, the autopsy. Oh, God, I'd be puking everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess to say something, when I was doing EMT stuff, I went to an autopsy. Yes. Did you have to? No. I was in a class and the guy teaching the class said, 
I don't know if any of y'all want to do this, but do y'all want to go watch an autopsy? Pretty much everybody in there raised their hand, including me. Well, of course, you know, we went to the appointed time to go see the autopsy. Me and three other people were the only ones left out of the class of 12. They left as it was happening. Yeah, they couldn't handle it. I think I probably want to be one of those. I have to admit, it was rough watching it. Part of understanding. Yeah, that was the know. way I looked at it. And I thought, well, if I can't handle this, you know, because you're going to see some bad stuff when you're doing EMT work. Is that the only time you've ever been around a dead body? Uh-uh. Yeah, I was, I was with my parents when they died. Yeah. And my grandmother. One time, this was when I was doing EMT stuff. They had to get a body out of a ravine in a mm. car wreck. This mm. was in place. And usually they have the corners and people like that take it out of there. But they were having trouble just of how steep and muddy it was down there. So I remember helping them. How'd they get down there? How The body it was a car wreck. Oh, it was in the car still? Yeah. Yeah, it was oh. like a car accident. Ooh. They couldn't get them down because of just how muddy and how bad it was down there. So they asked a couple of us. We were in, you know, EMTs that were there. Can we mm. come down and help? So we had kind of help them get the you know body out you know doing all that kind of thing. So yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Anyway, uh, Boone is laying there on the, the slab there. It's almost like his body starts to twitch. Well, you didn't go back to that scene where Decker's talking to Lori. She asks where did Boone die, and he tells her it was at a place called Midian. She gets a look on her face, and and he's standing behind her, but I think he's looking to see if she has some kind of reaction to that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Because I think he wants to know how much Boone told her. Yeah, that's what I'm. Because I was always getting a feeling that Decker was trying to feel her out to see if he needs to take her out. How much she knows? Because I got the feeling here. That Decker does these killings, pins it on somebody else, Mm -hmm. and has them taking a fall for it, lets things die down a little bit, then he starts them back again. And he blames... Someone else. Boone is his choice right now. Yeah, that was his particular choice this time And he's trying to make Boone believe that he killed. Yeah, I mean, I could be completely wrong about that, but that's the way I'm kind of looking at this. I agree. Then after this, we cut back to the autopsy, and that's where Boone kind of starts to move, and you see that bite start to glow. Like that like, guy's eyes. Yes. The color of that guy's eyes. Peliquin. And you see flashing images of his dreams of, like, mm. something moving quickly towards that gate. doesn't show monsters in this scene, but it's like point of view. Mm-hmm. He's moving real quick. His body starts to kind of twitch, and it's like he's coming back to life. They left kind of like the bedpan looking thing that they had take the bullets out of him mm-hmm. and the little scissors they were taking that they put it in that thing and it was sitting on his stomach but when he starts twitching he knocks it off into the floor yes and then you hear like glass breaking and it shows a window that's broken like something went through it but it didn't show anything and that's about the time you see uh Lori, deckard and joyce come in there because apparently, I guess they heard it. I don't know. Oh, this scene's not in mine. And, yeah. and they heard it. And they look, and the window's broken. Oh, so, see. So, yeah. yeah so maybe they, they trimmed that out. It just makes me wonder, were they doing an interview? In the next her? room in the, or something? In, in the next room or a few rooms down? I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe that's what it is. They just showed her the body. And then took her somewhere took else. Took her somewhere else close yeah. by. Because she, she even said, no, let's just do this now. I want to get, get it over, over with. with. Yeah. yeah. So maybe she was close by. And then, of course, you know, like I said, the uh, window's broken. Boone's body's gone. And he's gone. 
And then we cut to a scene. Lori's at her apartment and she's packing a bag. This is not her mind. And she, it's just a quick <laughs> little shot. She's just there yeah. packing a bag. And I guess she's getting ready to make her trip to Midian. And then we cut to a scene of Decker in this, like, all sizes, sizes. of knives yeah, on this table. Yeah, he has a knife fetish. Yeah. He's reading a newspaper that has the picture of Boone's dead body on the front cover. But I think it in the headline, the body has been stolen. Because I think they were thinking, you know, kind of labeling Boone as the killer of all those families. Yeah. And then he starts listening to a tape of Boone. It's basically talking about life after death. And he said, and Decker's like, but you're dead. He says, no, I might be dead, but I'm walking around. He gets to live forever in Midian. Decker gets angry and throws the tape recorder against the wall. And this is the first things that I look at as far as Decker, why he starts going the way he is. But I'll get to the other scene later on. Yeah. But this kind of gives you an idea of what Decker's motivations are. When that tape recorder hit the floor from the ground, it was still playing. Yeah. And you hear Boone's voice say, maybe death is not the end of it all. Yeah. From what I remember hearing, that was the hardest scene to shoot. One of the hardest scenes to shoot, the tape recorder. Because they said every time Cronenberg threw against the wall, the tape recorder wouldn't break. You know, because he'd throw it against the wall, and I guess it was so well made, it didn't break. And they said it took them a number of takes to get that right before the tape recorder finally broke when they threw it against the wall. This is one of the few little times in the movie where you see Decker kind of lose his cool. Yeah, he has emotion. He's always just like, even when see people are screaming in his face, he's just like, what? Yeah, he's just like very, very calm, very even keel. Yeah, through the whole thing, he's very even. But this is one of the few couple he's times, angry. two or three times where you, you can don't quite see know his anger yeah. is just like really starting to. Because I wondered if he thought that that was true. Because here Boone's body's gone. Well, there you go. I mean, and like I said, he was there and he seen that the body was gone and the window was broken. So is he mad because he wants to live forever? Or is he mad because? Who he was blaming for the murders is really still alive. No, I have a third theory. Okay. Yeah. My theory, he's killing these people. I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit. He's killing these people. These people to him are breeders, what he calls them. Yeah, he mentioned something later. We'll talk more about that later. But I want to get to that later. Because I wanted to ask you what you thought that meant. Okay. But this this is part on this, but we'll get to it later. But after this, we cut to a scene. Lori is on her way to Midian as well, just like Boone did. And then we cut to a scene, and she stops at like this kind of this town bar or something like that. She tells the bartender that she's looking for Midian. Yeah, this is the days before GPS, people. You had yeah. to actually stop and ask for directions at times. And, you know, you didn't have Google Maps or anything. No. This is, you know, she has to stop and ask the bartender. And the bartender says, yeah, you and everybody else, you know, there have been mm-hmm. reporters uh, been in and out of here asking, you know, about Midian. Well, he call, He says that there have been TV reporters up there reporting on the baby slasher being killed that week. I guess he's referring to Boone being killed because, you know, he killed, Becker killed that little kid on the stairs. And he's so probably killed calling, more kids. Yeah, that. they're calling him a baby slasher. And you can tell when Laura hears this, it starts to upset her. Yeah, she just can't come to terms with that Boone would do anything like that. Yeah, and she just kind of makes her, just kind of walks off, and then you see a scene of Lori in the bathroom, and she's kind of just crying. She's really upset by this. A woman comes in and asks her, is she crying over a man or money? Yeah. Lori Uh, says it's a man. Yeah, this is a Cheryl Ann. I used to know a girl named Cheryl Ann. (laughs) Cheryl Ann? Yeah. The woman asked her, what did the man do, leave? 
And Lori says, not exactly. She said, what, did he come back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That's even worse. Yeah. Right? I mean, you want to get rid of them, they yeah. won't go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Lori asked the woman if she wants a drink, that she needs a drink. Yeah, so she's making her little friend in this yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. Lori's uh, at, sitting there at the table, you know, talking to Sheroyan and, you know, just kind of, t- I guess, kind of tells her, kind of gives her... See, this scene is not is missing from mine but i remembered when we watched it the the scene and this scene explains why they went together later but the theatrical doesn't it doesn't make any sense i was trying to figure out where i knew that they made plans it's this scene you're talking about well yeah she sits there and says that she just wants to go see where he died she knows she talks about how somebody they feel like you know somebody stole his body and she says you know she tells Cheryl she just loved Boone but she says she don't think she ever understood him and this this scene wasn't in the no wow okay the next scene is uh is back at the cemetery oh wow Boone's with narcissus oh, oh, oh wow Narcissus. okay wow because I got a bunch more here okay well then you'll have to and Cheryl Ann just sits there and says well I'll tell you what. I'm not doing anything tomorrow. I'll go with you yeah. tomorrow. Lori's just like, you don't have to do that. And she mm-hmm. says, no, no, it's totally good. I mean, I don't have anything to do. Yeah. It's fine. And I can come up there with you and kind of help yeah. keep you company. And Lori just seems to be very grateful to this because, you know, she's very upset. And, of course, she's in a place she doesn't know. And she yeah. met somebody that's kind of willing to, to go with her. And then Lori's like, okay, well, I'm going to uh, go and get some rest. And I'll see. I'll come pick you up in the morning. And Cheryl Ann's just like, well, I'm going to stick around here. And, you know, I guess she's looking to see if she can, you know. Meet her a man. Meet her a man. You know, I kind of find that kind of a sad thing. I just got the impression that she was a woman who has had trouble with men over the years. And mm-hmm. she's just kind of hit that point where she's just like hoping that she'll pick up a Mr. Right and just kind of dive bar. Like yeah, because when they're in the bathroom, she's doing her hair and all. And she's, yeah. like, she's like looking at herself like, gorgeous, it's too bad. It'll be wasted here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. nobody appreciate anything yeah. she does. Yeah. You know, she like I said, she's staying there at the bar, you know, see if she can just, mm-hmm. you know, find a guy. Which a bar would be the worst place to find. Yeah. A relationship. Yeah, particularly a bar that kind of looks like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, like a hookup. Yeah. But, you know, after Lori leaves, you know, Cheryl Ann's just sitting there and she has a drink come, come to the table. And the bartender says, it's from the gentleman over there in the corner. And Cheryl Ann turns and looks at this guy. We don't see who the guy is. Yeah. And she just like looks at him and she talks to the bartender and says, well, hell, he don't look like he's from around here. <laughs> and like I said, we never see this guy. And then I guess we cut to where you are. And yeah. there, then we're underground and we find out we're in Midian. Boone's walking with that nurse. Nar- Nar- Narcisse. Narcisse. Yeah. He's like walking Boone up under there. He's kind of leading Boone to this chamber. And he says, Boone kind of found his way there like I did. Yeah, I kind of felt like that was fate that he met Narcissus. Narciss- I always want to call him Narcissus. I don't know why. No, we're, we're, we're going to meet the Narcissist later yeah, on. Yeah, Narcissus. Yeah, Narcisse. Narcisse. If he hadn't have went there, he would have never found out where Midian was. Yeah, it's all fate that he Yeah, that he met him. Yeah. Narcisse tells Boone, yeah, you found your way here like he did. And he says that we both belong here. And he's, his appearance is that uns- he doesn't have the scalp. Yeah, yeah. He's just hideous looking. I mean, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've read the book that this is based on. But it seems like I remember Narcisse, when he skinned himself, his skin becomes more reptile-like. 
as time goes on. I'm trying to, it's been a while since I've read it, but I want to say that's what this skin was supposed to start to look like. Narcisse leads Boone into this chamber area. Those are all the Nightbreed are. And then we see some of the Nightbreed waiting there. Mm, I don't think it's all of them, but, but it's, it's some of them. The main ones. Yeah. As Boone walks in, you know, Boone, well, Lylesburg is there too. He's the main, I guess, head of the Nightbreed. Peloquin's standing there with this uh, female. Female, like, uh, yeah. oh, Her name is Shuna Sazi. Shuna, oh, I said Sassy. Yeah, Shuna Sazi. <laughs> Sassy. And Shuna Sazi looks at Boone and tells Peloquin, I dreamed of him. Boone says, or I dreamed of her, or it's the reverse yeah. of that. Or yeah, because like he asked, how does he know her? And he said, I dreamed of her. And then she tells Peloquin, I dreamed, I dreamed of him. Yeah. So they're both dreaming yeah. of each other. yeah. They never really capitalize on that in this movie, but it makes me wonder if that was something they were going to address later on. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's a sign that he belongs there. Yeah. That they're, they're, he's hooked to them somehow. Yeah, he's they, connected they to them. They sense him, too. Lysburg asks Kinski if Boone has been schooled in the laws of Midian. And he asks who is his advocate. Oh, advocate. And he says, Kinski says me. Yeah, and then that's when he asks him if he's yeah. been tutored in the laws. And he said, yes, he has. I think this is, Lylesburg says, and you realize when you do this, you leave the natural world behind, and your previous life will be a dream. Will be a dream. And Boone understands this. And what happens is Lylesburg sticks his hand into this, it's almost like it's liquid, but it's like it's glowing kind of liquid. Well, Lysburg says... The blood of Athame knows all truth and yep. asks Boone if he's prepared to be judged by the gods. Yeah, there you Boone go. Boone says he's ready. Yeah. And Lysburg sticks his hand, like you said, in that water. Yeah, it's like he's going to be baptized by the blood of Bathame. Yeah. He touches Boone's chest and all his wounds are kind of healed immediately, like all his bullet wounds and everything. Lysburg says the tribes of the new moon embrace him. Yeah, because he passed. So yep. he is officially not breathing. Everyone claps like he's... You know, welcome. Well, he's part of the tribe mm-hmm. now. Welcome yeah. to the club, even yeah. though I had to chuckle in this scene because <laughs> it's just like Boone is standing there looking all hot and everybody else is hideous. It's like the jock guy in high school hanging out with the gods or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now you have some of them there that look normal. Not like... as normal. I mean, the only one is that uh, at, Anaka. Anaka. Yeah. But the rest of them have something... Yeah, uh, but... I just thought that was funny. Yeah, it is interesting. He doesn't look like he belongs. No, no, but... But he hasn't shifted yet. Yeah, he hasn't shifted yet. Yeah. Because the night breed are kind of shapeshift. Then we cut back to the next day. One to two gross scenes in this movie. Oh, yeah. Cheryl Ann is sitting there, sunglasses on, looking like she's hungover, and somebody's (laughs) cracking eggs into a glass. Oh, raw eggs. You can tell that she, like I said, she's extremely hungover. And then Lori comes in and looks at her, and it's just like, oh, you know, (laughs) you okay and everything. And she's like, yeah, you know, she says she's met a guy last night. His name's Curtis, and and he just moved to town. He's gotten divorced. and Yeah, he's like a banker. Yeah, he's a banker. Yeah, he's a banker. Lori asks Cheryl Ann if she's still coming with her to Midian. And Cheryl says, yes, yeah, she is, because Curtis has stuff to do, and but he's she's meeting him later. Yeah, she's going to meet him later on tonight. So mm-hmm. it's all good. You know, Cheryl Ann's, like I said, she's kind of she, hung. She's very hungover, but she's willing to still go. Then we cut to a scene of Lori and Cheryl Ann pulling up 
to the cemetery, cemetery. You know, outside of Midian. Lori kind of says, why would Boone come here? Yeah, she don't understand why here, of all places. Um, Cheryl Ann tells Lori that she'll stay at the car and Lori can go do what she needs to do with yeah. the cemetery. Yeah, she says she'll just hang out here yeah. and just, you know, kind of keep herself company, I guess. Yeah. You know, Lori is like, okay, and she just walks up to the gates and she goes in and mm-hmm. she's just kind of like Boone when Boone first walked in there. She's just very like, wow. So Cheryl Ann turned her car radio and she's just kind of sitting jamming in the car. Yeah, she's just kind of hanging out there smoking a cigarette, mm-hmm. you know, kind of listening to music. Suddenly a car kind of pulls in behind her and she says Curtis's name. Well, she says, what, what are you doing? doing? Yeah, here? yeah. He gets out of the car, and who is Curtis? Yeah, Kurt, we find out Curtis is Decker. Decker. So, if there's ever any doubts that Decker was shady... Yeah, run, Shell, run, drop the stick, and go. Yeah, this should put that at, at ease for you. Right <laughs> Bye, Cheryl, we love you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, her character was very brief in this movie, as we're going to come to see. We cut to a scene inside the cemetery, and Lori's walking around, just kind of, you know, still exploring... And some noise catches her ear. She hears something crying. Yeah. And she looks and we see something laying Ooh, out. Creature looking yeah, thing. Yeah, this like, it's almost like a, best way I could describe it is it almost looks like a dog without hair. It looks like a skinless wombat. Yeah, but it kind of has this, uh, I guess four legs like a dog and everything yeah. too. That's why. But it's just like flattened against the ground and it's just crying. Yeah, it's like it's crying like it's hurting. Here's the interesting thing I like about Lori. She isn't freaked out by this. No, she's worried. She she's scared. concerned. She is concerned. You know, this is one of the first times you see how really Lori is a very, very Unjudgmental person. And, and unjudgmental and very compassionate. Yes. Because she does not look at this thing like, oh God, this is hideous. This is hideous. It's mm-hmm. like something, this thing is well, hurting. Well, I think she's nervous because she's never seen anything like that. Yeah, but... she's nervous. She's like, this thing is hurting. I want to help. She, as she gets closer to her, a woman mm-hmm. says, bring her inside. Yeah. Please, yeah, bring her to me. The other, this is Rachel. Yeah, this is Rachel. Lori just takes and picks up this uh, creature. Rachel's my favorite character in this movie. Oh, yeah. I think she's the coolest. Yeah, she is very cool. With the voice of three different women. Yeah, and she gets naked when she needs something to do. Uh, Well, there's, yeah, we'll get to that later on. Uh, Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's a a scene. That's a superpower. That was a scene that I remember hearing. Uh, we'll get to that, but you know, a lot of people talked about in this movie. Lori picks up this uh, creature and walks it back inside to where Rachel is mm-hmm. and out of the sun. She hands the creature over to Rachel, and that creature starts to transform. Yeah, it starts shifting in Lori's ha- arms as yeah. they get into the dark. Yeah. And Lori's like, oh God, oh God. And then she hands yeah. it over to Rachel. Rachel tells Lori, says, you know, I tell her not to play in the light because yeah. it'll hurt her. But, but she, she loves to play outside. Yeah, and she's a child. And then about that time, she, you see this creature is already morphed back into. She's just like a little, little girl. Red-headed girl, little girl. A red-headed, curly-haired little girl. Yeah, and Rachel says, this is Babette. Yeah, Babette. Lori's just like confused. She just doesn't understand. She said, well, like, what's going on? Rachel says, well, I owe you something for saving Babette's life. She's like, I know why you're here. Lori tries to, of course, get, you know, is about to get the info from her. Then Lylesburg comes up from underneath the, uh, up the stairs. Yeah, because Lori kind of asked Rachel before he came up, 
I think he comes up as she's asking yeah, her, exactly. did they bring Boom there? Liesberg appears in the room and he tells Rachel that she said too much already. And Liesberg says, Babette has no life to save. Yes. But whatever she has, Lori can have it. That's it's almost the law. like she's giving, it's like going to give Babette to Lori. And she says, I just want some answers. Yeah, because I know uh, Lori looks over at Rachel and Rachel's just like, like no, shaking her head. Don't like, take her. Yeah, and from I don't me. think Lori was going to do that. This wasn't her child, but I think she was kind of like her mother. Or maybe she had found her. Actually, or it is. Oh, she is her mother? Yeah, um, because there's a creature that wasn't in this movie. That was her father. Okay. But you don't really see yeah. him. It's okay. like one of the ones that got kind of cut. Well, she never called her her daughter or anything. Yeah, she yeah. just called her by name. Yeah. Liesberg says Lori can't know anything because if she tells anyone, the Nightbreed will be in danger. That what is below ground must stay underground. Basically, they tell Lori she can't speak of this because I think Lori says, are you threatening me? Yeah. It says, it's not a threat so, no, to you, it's to it's us. To us. She asked again, is, is Boom there? And Liesberg and Rachel are kind of just walking they out do. of the room downstairs. And she's kind of yelling behind them. Yeah. And she's like, followed them downstairs. I wouldn't have went down there. Yeah. <laughs> and there's snakes and shit all over the stairs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, no. I, I'm not scared of snakes. Uh-uh. I would have walked down past that. Now, if it was big giant rats on them stairs, <laughs> I'd been like, well, Any sorry. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not going. Snakes, I don't mind as much. Rats, I'm just like, no, thank you. Suddenly, like a creature comes out of the dark and grabs Lori. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. One of them I didn't recognize, and the other one was Peliquin. Yeah, now Peliquin comes one out. One had like a blue face or something. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember. Was it that guy that was with the guy that had the stuff that came out of his stomach? Because mm. he kind of stayed with him all the time. Well, there's a reason for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, those two, when we get to them, I'll explain why. Oh, okay. But, but no. I didn't recognize the other one. But Pelican, Peloquin, yeah. he grabs hold of her. She gets away and kind of runs back up the stairs. And I, I love what he says. He says, y'all come back now. You hear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was a little weird. Yeah, very weird. <laughs> Yeah, and there's quite a few of those quirky yeah, things little, in this. Yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah, because like you're thinking they're underground. How would they know like normal dialect well, or like I mean, it could be regional dialect? Because well, he said y'all. Yeah, but you got to remember, I guess if some of these people are dying and they're building the night breed back up, you're gonna have more modern people that are gonna be coming in. Okay. You know, because yeah. like I said you got to look at Boone. How that, many more before Boone was? Yeah. There? Yeah, because I had a question about that in my notes. I'll ask you when we get to okay. it. But, you know, Lori, of course, takes off, and she's running back to her car. And she goes out to outside the, the gates of Midian, and she walks over to her car, and you can kind of see a look on her face like, oh, something ain't right here. Yeah, it looks like blood smeared all over the passenger side window. Yeah. The car radio is still running, but, like, Cheryl's nowhere in sight. She walks around, and she looks... And then she notices something, and she walks up to it. We don't see it at first. And then we look, and there's Cheryl Ann, basically pinned to a tree. By knives. Uh, I there's can't, one in her back. There's one in her spine. One in her head. One in her. I think it's one in her head and one in her arm. Yeah, like her hand. Yeah, her hand. Yeah. yeah. 
I was like, poor Cheryl. She should have never went to the bathroom that night and met Lori. Yeah, I know. That, that caused all of her problems right there, <laughs> Just mind your own business and just go, go in the stall and don't talk to nobody. Lori kind of starts to back up and she's not scared. And she's like, I guess she's about to turn around to run. And Decker's there. And then we see this button face mask again. Yeah. And I asked you if there was some kind of origin of that mask, but you said you didn't know of anything. That was just something they created. It almost looks like a scarecrow mask. Yeah. So it button eyes and then like a zipper mouth that's not even a cross. It's weird shaped. From what I read, I think Barker, Clive Barker, kind of sketched the image of this and then the makeup people created it. Uh, I think that's how this worked. I could be wrong, but I think because he designed these monsters himself, too. Yeah. And they just sent the designs off, and then they they created them. But I think it's a similar thing with the mask. I think that was one of the best things in this movie. Like, everything was just unique. Yeah. Like, each thing was unique. Well, Barker's got a very fertile imagination. Well, yeah, he had a lot of trouble with this movie, but we'll get into that after we're done here. You see the button face mask on, and Lori just, she's like, this person knows her name. And she's like, how, hey. how do you know me? He says, well, here's your answer. And he pulls the mask off. And, of course, for sure now, we know that it's Decker. Yeah, but if you I had knew any, it. If you had any doubts before. I knew when I saw that long black jacket. I was like, yeah. that's that killer. It's off running. Yeah, but I think Decker says, you know. Boone's alive. Uh, Boone's alive, and your death is going to bring him out of hiding. Okay, so I kept rewinding it. I couldn't understand. I couldn't get it. My ears clogged with sinus, and I could not hear yeah. what he said. Yeah, that was what it was. He says, you oh, know. Oh, it'll bring him out of hiding. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, like I said, I kill you. Decker's going, or Boone's going to come out, and then yeah. I can get Boone. Yeah, he puts his mask back on as she takes off running. Yeah, and then I he, think his mask is really cool. I like his mask. We're, we, you dressed as him for Halloween about two, three years ago. Yeah, it was a couple of years. Yeah, and we yeah. we had a you you know we it was when COVID first started and we just wanted to do something even mm-hmm. if it was just me and you dressing up. I didn't really. I just kind of threw some goth stuff together. I was like a goth clown or whatever. Yeah. But you wanted to do Doctor Decker. The character is very scary looking. Yeah, and we found a place to order that mask. Yeah, which I still have. Yeah, and we, yeah. we decided to spend a little bit more money than we normally would just because it was like a favorite and you're going to keep it and display oh, oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. That kind of thing. And we took pictures and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll uh, probably post them on the Facebook just to show everybody that might listen Yeah, you your can post, maybe post them about the time we drop this episode. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that would be a good idea. You know, Decker chases uh, Lori into the graveyard. Lori's kind of like disoriented and Decker keeps is catching up to her. And then underground, Boone is down there arguing with Lylesburg. Uh, it's like, I got to help her. Lylesburg says you can't because it's forbidden. And you agreed to the laws. Yeah, yeah. you took the oath and you had mm. to obey the laws. And Boone's like, I'm not going to let him butcher her. Then we're kind of intercutting with scenes where Decker catches up to Lori. Basically, he hits her to knock her out. Well, he it shows him, or she's moving around, and he comes around the corner real quick, and he kind of hits the knife through some wood. Oh, yeah. He doesn't hit her, and she kind of takes off again, and then she falls, and he steps on her foot to keep there, her from there getting go. away. Yeah, that's it, that's it. 
it goes back to Boone telling Lysburg he loves Lori. And Lysburg says she's a natural and that she can't love him now. And Boone says he doesn't care. He starts a fight with some of the Nightbreed that are down there. He punches them and gets in a fight with a pretty big one. And then he gets out and he runs. Yeah, he runs upstairs, you know, to get to Lori. Decker's leaning over Lori and he tells her to lie still. It's quicker that way. Time, he knocks her out. Yeah, and he knocks her out. And that's about time Boone kind of bursts out. And then Decker actually looks at him and says, well, Boone, you're, you're here. here. And Boone guess, says, isn't this where dead people come to live? Yeah, and it almost makes you wonder if Decker was actually sure if Boone was still alive or not. I think he just didn't know when he his body know, disappeared. But, but he would know for sure if he killed Laurie and she, yeah. he came out. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, he was about to kill Laurie and there he is. Yeah, he says, Boone's like, this, isn't this where dead people are supposed to go? And Decker says, but you aren't dead. Boone says Decker is wrong that they are both dead. Decker takes out his knife and stabs Boone right in the chest. Boone just smiles and he's not affected because he's dead. Yeah. And then he kind of realizes after he stabs Boone it has no effect that, oh, well, he is dead after all. He kind of grabs Decker in a choker hold and pulls his mask off. And he's telling Decker that he's the walking dead. Narcissus. Narcisse. Narcisse comes up and says once Boone kills Decker, he wants his balls on his eyes. Yeah, unless you want them. Yeah. <laughs> and Decker's like, no. Uh, uh, and then uh, Boone's like, he doesn't want them anything. Decker, Decker's face is like, he's getting concerned. I don't know why, though, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's getting, yeah, he ought to be very concerned. He's just going to take his balls in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. And then Narcisse walks up to Decker. He says, you know, you took advantage of me when I was feeling particularly vulnerable. When I was, yeah, when he was dying dying. at the hospital. Yeah, because it makes you get the feeling that Decker tortured him until he he killed him to get information. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, told the secrets. He goes to cut Decker's face with the knives that he cut his scalp with. Yeah. Decker breaks away. Yeah, breaks away and runs off. Boone tells Narcissus Narcisse that Decker is his. Yeah. And then you see Boone's transformation where it's almost like he inhales. And then his face turns, turns. into these uh, kind of hieroglyphic kind of things like, on his face. Yeah. Then Boone takes off after Decker. And then Narcisse gets over there to look at Lori. He gets her in a, a weird position. Yeah, and he calls her sweet. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And she wakes up and screams, of course, because he's, what is he doing? You know, then Boone hears Lori screaming. It's over at Decker, and Decker's just taking off, and he's yeah. like, well, I ain't going to go after him. I need to see if Lori's okay. Boone runs up, and she's unconscious again. Yeah, I guess she fainted from the look. What You know, way Narcisse looks, I can kind of understand where she was. He would. tells Boone he didn't want to hurt her, that he was only trying to keep her warm. Yeah, trying to keep her warm. <laughs> okay. And then they grab Lori and, you know, takes her below. Narcisse. I can't. Narcisse. Narcisse. I'm going to call him Narcissus. Narcissus. Because I can't remember his name. Well, there's one character I'm going to call Narcissus later. He says Lori is not going to like the way Boone looks, and he kind of transforms back to his regular face, and then he picks her up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He transforms back. I uh-huh. forgot. I, I was having trouble with some of my notes here and there because I had a little Sabrina bothering me. <laughs> Half of your pen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, Sherry actually got to see some of that yesterday when I was trying to do some <laughs> stuff. You know, She was not happy with me doing notes. They take Lori down below, and right there, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we will go into the second half of Nightbreed. 
have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. scene and we see a car pull up outside of this kind of gas station area and everything and we see the car uh, uh decker walk in see his phone there's an old man behind the uh the counter and this old guy is a, a actor john agar mm. john agar has been in such films as revenge of the creature the second creature from the black lagoon movie and he was in uh, movies like The Mole People and stuff like that. He was like a big actor back in the 50s kind of sci-fi films. And Decker just asked, can I use your phone? Yeah. And he says, sure. I think he said, I think it works. But yeah, go right ahead. He calls and asks for... Detective Joyce. Detective Joyce. And he tells Joyce where he's at. Well, before he's waiting for them to put him on the phone, he... That man comments that Decker has been to Midian. Yeah, you can smell it on him. Yeah, and Decker asks exactly where is the town of Midian? And the man says there is no town, only the cemetery. Yeah, only the cemetery. And then the lieutenant comes on the phone and he tells him that he'll meet him at the closest police station. And he asks that man, where's the closest police station? And he says, Sharenak. Sharenak. So I guess he's going to meet that Joyce at Sharenak Police Department. Decker hangs up the phone. And he asks, uh, what's up there in Midian? He said, who's buried there? He said, and the man says, prospectors from all over came there and got buried yeah. up there. And he says, nothing but dead folk. And Duggar says, there's something else there. And the man says, there's nothing but dead folk. And Decker leaves. Yeah, Decker just something. Just He's just trying to grill him, like, yeah. how, see how much he knows. You know, the guy locks up behind him. The guy's just like walking around kind of talking to himself. He says, I, you know, they couldn't hide forever yeah. and everything. And you're just like wondering like, whoa. So he sounds like he does know he a, little knows bit a little more, bit more, more than he's talking about. He sees that there's a door in the back kind of open. He goes and he shuts it and all the dogs have went quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And he sits down at a table where he looks like he does uh, a taxidermy. taxidermy. And there's like a taxidermy fox there. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells the fox, he, he says, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and then you see Decker coming up behind him. Yeah, Decker comes up behind him and puts the machete down, almost like chops the head off of, of the, the fox. Off the fox, the taxidermy. And then he grabs that old man. He grabs that old man. 
And then we cut to, I guess, back down in Midian. Yeah, Lori's laying in a coffin. Yeah, Lori wakes up in a coffin, which is not a place you want to tend to wake up Well, at up least in. the top wasn't on. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> I'll give you that. It at was least an open the, coffin. Yeah. But I don't think I could handle how narrow it was, how small. Yeah. Like, I would just be kicking the shit out of it. Exactly. Like, let me out of here. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Rachel's standing nearby as she wakes up. And then uh, Lori wants to know where uh, that was Boone up there, right? Yeah, and Rachel says she doesn't understand. Uh, Lori says, Boone, was that Boone up there? But he's dead. I saw him in the morgue. Yeah. And Rachel says, you don't understand that they're underground now. Yeah, with Rachel, the night breed. Yeah, she's with. She says he's with them now. Yeah, and this kind of goes into like the little story of that. Yeah, and Rachel tells her basically, who the night breed were are they're the last survivors of the great tribes. They're shapeshifters, freaks, freaks. You know, remains of people that man has driven to extinction. Lori's like, so you're immortal? And she says, uh, no. no. No, he says, you know, we can be killed by sun, by bullets. Guns, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I guess it depends on which night breed on how they can be killed. Yeah, and, and, and Rachel kind of asked Lori, why is it so bad to fly, to turn into smoke or a wolf, and to know that naturals dream about flying? They dream about changing into things they're not. Yeah. She said, you're envious of us. Yes. They kind of make the comment that natural, in what they envy, they destroy. Yep, I have it. And that is so true. Yep, that's it. I found the uh, yeah. I put a note in this that I found this so relevant to nowadays. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people kind of if there's a group of people they don't like, yeah, they try to destroy them. And you wonder if it's deep down. They're envious that they can't be their selves. They always live in some kind of lie and a secret. And like they're envious that certain people can be their selves and be their authentic self. Yeah, that's it. And they're always hiding and they're not free. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've always gathered from it, too. Yeah. And I know even Rachel says at one point, uh, some of the night breeder down there because they've survived because they are beyond death. You know, mm-hmm. some of them might be immortal. Some of them might have died mm-hmm. and have been brought back like Boone. So they are beyond death. And Babette's kind of standing near Rachel. Yeah. And Rachel tells Babette to show Lori the past. Babette walks over and takes Lori's hand. And you start seeing the past where they're the night breeder being tortured. And beheaded. Yes. Yeah. And you it, you can't tell what time this mm-hmm. is taking place in, but it's sometime Far into the past. Yeah, but I thought the scene was very interesting how much they look like the KKK. Yeah. Holding books with crosses on them and wearing like the pointy hats. Yes. And the, I was like, oh, I knew them dudes weren't legit yeah, <laughs> walking yeah. around in sheep. Yeah, I mean, as I said, you can't really tell specifically, but it looks like it's yeah. a time way in the past. And was that Lionsburg well, sitting in the chair? I could the, tell. Because the, he has... All these cuts on his head around his temples. Yeah. There's, when it's showing all of them be tortured and hung and stuff, there's one that looks like him sitting in this torture device and it yeah. has this thing on his head. Yeah. And I thought that was him. That could be. Yeah. That could be. I Except mean, he I doesn't didn't. have the robes on that he has in Midian. He just yeah. had like, he kind of looked very Jesus like. Well, I mean, I didn't notice that, but yeah, it yeah. could be. It could be. And then the vision ends. Lori's very upset by what she's saying. Yeah. 
And then Rachel says that we're all that remain. We're now. all that's left. And that Boone is like them. Yeah, he's Nightbreed. And okay, I have a question. Sure. This is what we, you mentioned this kind of earlier. Why aren't all the Nightbreed together? Why are there some out? Like Boone. He wasn't, he came to them. Why was he living a life outside of Midian? I kind of feel like what that is, is almost, it's almost like Narcisse. Some people, you don't know why. Well, maybe you weren't a night breed. Maybe you were born. Just different. Just different. And and it calls to you. Yeah, and it calls to you as time goes on. Okay, because I, t- I just thought, you know, all of them were there in Midian. Why were some not there? I always kind of looked at it like as you got older or something or as time went on, it was almost like you started linking up with them, maybe like Boone did, like in the yeah. dreams. And maybe Narcisse had these similar kind of dreams. Or it's your fate to. It's your fate to. To be with them. And you're connected to them. Because you remember the scene where Shunasazi says, He's dreaming of Yeah, her. so there's a connection yeah. there. And that's what it is. So when Boone was killed. He came the form that he could be with them. Yeah, yeah. That's basically, that's what I gathered okay. from it anyway. I just wondered. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's a totally legitimate question to ask. That's what I kind of mm-hmm. gather from it anyway. Okay. And Lori asks, uh, you know, tells Rachel, I want to find him. Yeah, she's like, where's Boone? And Rachel says he went down to the tabernacle. Yeah, he's with Bathame, the baptizer. The baptizer. The one who made Midian. And called the Nightbreed there to save them from the naturals. Yeah, from their enemy, which mm-hmm. is the naturals. Lori asks Rachel to take her to Bathame, and yeah. Rachel says it's forbidden. Yeah, you're for, it's forbidden to go. Lori says they'll you'll see about that. We'll see about that. Yeah, and then she goes and does it anyway. And then we cut to back to these uh, kind of taxidermy kind of gas station, <laughs> and Decker is sitting there, and he has the old man tied up in Christmas lights. Yeah, those old Christmas lights, those big Christmas yeah. lights. Decker wants to know about Midian and the monsters. Yeah. And, and if they can die. The old man asked, what has the Nightbreed ever done to you? And then Decker just starts. This is the second scene where he starts getting agitated Mad. because he's like, can poking they him die? With a knife. Yeah. And he's just poking him with the edge of the knife in the leg. I think this guy says, yeah, they can, you know, die. You know, There's different breeds and they can be killed in different ways. Yeah. Then Deckard asked him a question like, how do you know all this? She says, I wanted to be one of them. Yeah, but they wouldn't take me. He asked Deckard if they kicked him out, and that's why he hates them so much. Yeah. Now, here's the thing about, and then you find out, and is that why you want them to hurt them? Because they wouldn't take you? They threw you out. Or they threw you out? Yeah. And Deckard's like, He laughs. No. And he's like, no. I'm not one of them. Yeah, I'm here to destroy them. I'm here to destroy them. Because here's the thing. He talks about breeders. He says, I've cleaned up a lot of families like cesspools, filth, making filth. And then he says, that's what's led him here to destroy them. And the old man calls him crazy. He says, "I'm no, I'm dead, plain and simple. He says, say that. Yeah. Or say it. Yeah. And the man doesn't say it. And he stabs him in the chest. And he says, or not. You know, when he killed that family in the house, what was it about then? Here's what I was going to get into. You look at Decker. He's very sophisticated looking. Very classy guy. These people were just normal, overweight, just plain 
people. They were a little bit older to have a kid that young, too. Maybe so. The point being is he looks down on these people. And he didn't know them. That doesn't matter. Yeah, but I think that's a point in this movie. It's a class thing. He feels like these are breeders who are just waste. And they don't, if they're not like him, they deserve to die. Yeah, it's kind of like how people pick it, like people on Medicaid or, you know, like you shouldn't have kids because you're poor. Yeah, and they're breeders. Yeah. And he says that, and they keep making ones like them kill the kid too. So he can't make any more like them. Then we go back to the scene of where Decker is listening to that tape recording and the life after death. So to me, that almost made it seem like Deckard is mad because all these people he killed, there's life after death. So all of his killings have been for nothing. For nothing. That's what I gathered yeah, from this. I think so. But then again, there's this whole gay subtext to this too. Yes. There's and a lot. There's a lot. Well, I'm going to get into that yeah. later. Another thing that gay people call straight people are breeders. So, but that's a yeah. whole other thing too that we can yeah. get into later. That's where I kind of came from on this. That's <clears> what <throat> Decker's motivation was. But then, of course, like you were saying, he kills this guy, you know, because I guess he's got all the information. That he yeah, and he doesn't, he doesn't want him to, I guess, know, know any, you know, he's trying to wipe out anybody that knows anything about Midian. Yeah, basically. Or that can trace anybody looking for it or whatever. Yeah. Okay, and then we cut back to a scene, and Lori is going down the stairs to go look for Boone. And Lylesburg, uh, naturally, he's there and tries to stop her. And he tells her that he, uh, Boone is with uh, Bathamy. Before she runs into him, she runs into a lot of new Nightbreed that we haven't seen yet. Well, that's what I... This is is this next, a scene that's this not... This is the next okay. scene. This is the okay. next scene right here. I think uh, the scenes were flipped. Because as she goes down to find him, this is when... Yeah. We're in the world of Midian, and we see all these different creatures. Mm-hmm. This is a whole underground world here. It's like a society. Yeah. There's, underground. There's drawbridges yeah. leading you everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's tunnels going into different places. And this is where we see all these creatures, which is just some great makeup effects on some of these. There's stop motion. There's great makeup effects. You know what here. this reminded me of? Of any time you would see films that had circus freaks. Yeah. How like they're all in their own little area or their own little room that you go yeah. stare at them or whatever. Yeah. And she just goes and she keeps looking in different rooms and seeing all these different uh, monsters. And they're so like unique. Each one's different. Yeah. They got their own look yeah. and personality to them. But it is like kind of like shocking to see some of them because they're really hideous yeah they're some really of, gross yeah i mean some of them are kind of hideous looking some of them just look very bizarre looking in their own mm-hmm. right i mean they're just so different and then she starts to follow one that is kind of dressed kind of like boone would be yeah you know t-shirt and mm-hmm. jeans and everything and she kind of keeps catching them out of the corner of her eye and she keeps following them and then she runs into Peliquin. The there was a funny funny line right before. What's the one that has the the worm things that come out of his stomach? Were you gonna? That was the first time I ever showed them. 
Oh, that's uh oh god, I'm trying to remember his name. He's now. in that book, isn't he? Yeah, he's in the name uh, book, but I got his name. I don't know his name. I didn't write to, down his his name. I got. I just had his name written down here somewhere. Leroy Gom. He goes to grab her because he's seen her walking away, yeah. and he goes to grab her, and she gets just out of his reach. She didn't even know he grabbed for her, and he goes. There goes the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was another one of those. Like, yeah. y'all come back here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it was after this, that's when she yes. runs into Peliquin's heir. Isn't this the point where she sees the guy that looks like Boone, but he turns around and he's got this little sh- small face yeah, on him? Yeah, his face is all fucked up. Yeah, it's all distorted. Mm-hmm. And Peliquin, he takes her butterfly pin off her sweater. And he pokes it into the skin of his chest. Yeah, he just puts it's it so down gross. there like pretty butterfly. He asked her if she wants to join the family. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, says no. She wants to live forever. She says no, and he says, eventually you will. You'll want to live forever. Then she takes off. I Then I go to a scene, I don't know if you do, where Deckard is in like an office and then Joyce is in there with Well, him. it shows like a brief little scene of Boom down, get, finally getting down there in the tabernacle, and he sees Bathanae. It's okay. just very brief. Okay. All right. Well, then it moves to Decker's in the police station. Yeah, he's with a, a detective Joyce. Or Decker tells Joyce that Boone is alive. Yeah, despite uh, getting shot. Yeah, and Joyce is like, how? He says, I don't know. I don't understand, mm-hmm. but he, he doesn't know, but he is alive. And that's when this captain, who you want to say narcissist, this man is the narcissist. This is uh, what, Captain or, or yeah, Agerman? There's a scene coming up that I give you my yeah. thoughts on this man. He walks in there. He comes in there almost like there's this militant kind of Nazi-ish kind of thing. And you yes. can tell how narcissistic he is because he has a big portrait of himself. Yeah, in the and I make a comment later when Decker's looking at that picture. I make a comment about that in my note. He says he is the sheriff of Sheerneck and that Midian is in his jurisdiction. And he doesn't need their help. And yeah, Joyce wants to work with him, but he says, no, I, I'll bring, we're going to bring this uh, guy in ourselves. Yeah, because Joyce is like, Boone was in my custody. And he's like, no, well, I'll, I'll handle him. And as they're leaving, Decker tells him, you know, he isn't alone. He's not alone anymore. And if they don't stop him, there'll be more bloodshed. And I'm like... Here's Decker trying to set somebody up again. Yeah. Constantly trying to set innocent people up. Yeah. And Agerman says something like, you know, he's heard the rumors of Midian, but of course he doesn't believe in any of it. You know, Mm -hmm. he's just one of them people. Everybody doesn't believe believe in it. Decker says something is breeding there. Yeah. And that's the scene that you have. If you don't do anything, there's going to be more bloodshed. Yeah. Then we cut back to the underground in Midian, and Laurie runs into Narcisse, who is kind of dancing around and playing with, with, with a half body of a of a skeleton corpse. A corpse with a wedding dress on. And he tells her that she can't go down there because Boone is down there with a bathame. And she asked him, what is that smell? Yeah. And he kind of smells himself and the corpse. Yeah. And then he kind of makes a comment. He says, it's the berserkers. Yeah. They're down there. Yeah, and he says they're just mean bastards. They're mad bastards, and they'll rip your head off. I guess they're like the loose cannons of the night breeds. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and this is a point, and it's, uh, you know tells her, of course, yeah, Boone is down there, and then he tells Lori something like that. 
if Boone smells blood, the beast will come out in him too. Yeah, and he says he's not coming back. And she breaks free of him and kind of runs off. Yeah. And then it shows Anaka. Yeah. Pass by Narky. Yeah. Whatever Narky. his name is, yeah. and head after Lori. Lori's kind of made it further down, and something startles her, and she backs up real quick. And then some creature grabs her from the cell. It's behind one her. of the berserkers. But Anaka kind of distracts it, so it uh, yeah. lets Lori go. Then uh, he leads her to Boone and Bathamy. Yeah, and she sees Boone and she calls out to him and they run to each other and they hug. Yeah. She looks at Bathamy over his shoulder and it's like she becomes hypnotized almost. He tells her, don't look. Yeah, don't look. But oops. She looked. This is the point where they're let out. They're let out of uh, Midian by... uh, Uh, Yeah, they come back up from underground and they find the door that's back out to the cemetery. Anaka runs back in because he seems terrified of the sun. Boone says he can't leave. And Lori says they have to leave. That they belong together. Yeah. And that the Nightbreed doesn't need him. Yeah. And that he only needs her. Yeah. They leave. Boone seems hesitant because in all honesty, he's maybe not sure if he can actually walk out there. But he does walk out. It doesn't affect him. It doesn't affect him. And then we cut to the Sweetgrass Inn. Yes. And my second grossest scene in the movie. And there's this woman who's like, I guess, the uh, runs the inn. She's like the front front desk person. Mm -hmm. And she's talking to somebody on the phone. I guess I can't remember what she's talking about. She's setting up some kind of reservation. No, it's somebody asking her if somebody's there. Is that what that is? Yes, okay. he's asking her who. When we find out who that is, oh okay. Hey, somebody's asking her, "Are these people here staying here?" And yeah. she says, "Well, their key's not back, but I don't. I haven't seen them." Oh okay. And she starts calling out to somebody called Arnie. Arnie. He doesn't answer her, and she says, "I'll have to get back with you on that." Oh okay. And she puts the phone down and she's eating like a cheese Danish or something. Yeah, it's like, and she drops it on the floor. Uh, and she starts picking this messy, nasty thing up off the floor and putting it on top of the desk. Why did she get in the trash can and throw it in there? Yeah, and she starts licking her fingers oh, off of it as it's on the floor. she picked it up off the floor. And, oh, God, this was so gross. And she is just keeps looking. And then she looks up under the desk. There's legs there. And then there's somebody that walks up to the desk. She sees the legs and she hears a thud yeah, she says, on the Barney? counter. And then she stands up. There's a head. I guess this is Arnie. I guess this would have been Arnie. Arnie's head is on the desk. <laughs> and then she backs up and just starts screaming. And then you see Decker come up behind her stabs and stabs her. her. He don't leave anybody alive. No, no, he does not. And Decker's very fast, apparently, because yes. he got from around that desk, around behind the counter, or that door behind but the counter. But even faster. Yeah. He was on the phone calling her, asking her, were yeah. they there? Yeah. Then he came in with the head, yeah. obviously killed Arnie, came with the head, then got back around her before she got up. Yeah, he's very quick. Yes. And then about that time we cut to outside and Lori and Boone arrive. And they get out and they're getting ready to head in. And then we see Decker is sitting in the car. He's in the parking lot watching them. Uh, is this the point where he picks up the phone in no. his car? Not yet. Uh-uh. Okay. They, they go, go to their room. They go inside and Boone is walking in there. He walks in the hallway 
And Boone just kind of stops. He's like, I smell blood. Well, he first says, why is the hotel so empty? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she about says, the rodeo. maybe it's the rodeo. Everybody's at the rodeo. I guess that's a popular thing in yeah. that town. Yeah. And then he says, I smell blood. There you go. Yeah, that's right. And she opens their hotel room door and it, there's nobody in there. Yeah, it looks normal. Then it moves to Decker in his car using his car phone. Yeah, which uh, 90s car phone right there. That was, yeah. that, that was a fancy thing to have at that time. That was very and, fancy. And he's driving like a, a 50s car. Yeah, I noticed that too. Or maybe even earlier than that. It could be. 40s maybe. Yeah. And Lori is kind of changing in the room and Boone is just like kind of standing outside, kind of guess just looking around because he seems like he's kind of disturbed, like something's off to him, I guess because he smelled blood. She notices a hole in the wall and there's a, fly, a light flashing through it. Yes. And she goes and peeks through the wall and she screams to Boone to go next door. Yes. He goes into the next room and like all the people that were in that room are, have been murdered. So I wondered, maybe he went around killing everybody in each room looking for them. And that's why the hotel's so empty. Everybody's it, dead. It's either that or it's like I said, he kills breeders. Yeah. Anybody he feels is beneath him. I just thought he killed them because he was looking for them. It could have been, or like I said, it could have been both. Because these were all men in yeah. a room looked like they were playing cards. Yeah, well, uh, Deckard is pretty indiscriminate in yeah. who he kills. Well, he also doesn't want anybody to know that he was there. Yeah. And I find it interesting that I guess Deckard took the time to build a tower out of cards, playing cards. Yeah, which I did like that. I thought that was interesting. Well, the guy had a card hat on those, like they were playing yeah. poker. Yeah, maybe you so. You think he should have done, he did that? I don't know. If you're playing poker, I don't know why you would take the cards and build a little yeah, tower out true. of them. Uh, Boone is in that room and that blood smell. You can see. change. Yeah, he's like driving him crazy. And Lori's like, what's going on? And Boone tells her, get out of here. He's starting to transform. And then she don't understand, like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Then he turns around and tells her to get out here. And his eyes are glowing. And he's uh -huh. got those glyphic things. Well, that's the first time yeah. his eyes have glowing. Yeah. But the, see, I think that's something they do when they're hungry. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what Peliquin did. Peliquin did also. And Lori takes off. She screams and runs. Yeah. And as we're seeing this, we're seeing, like, police arrive outside, mm -hmm. you know, getting out of the back of their uh, trucks and everything. Yep. She keeps kind of backing away from the room, and Boone's still in there with all the dead people, and he runs his finger across the table with the blood. Yeah, and he just... Then he licks it. Yeah, he starts to you know, take Sticks a big thing of the in blood mouth. into his mouth. Ugh. And as Lori's backing up, the police burst in, and then she takes off out yeah. the other end of the hotel. About that time, I guess Boone starts to hear him, and as the police are coming in, he changes back into his normal self. He's in a bathroom. I don't know what is he still in that room with the Yeah, he's men? still in the room. He went in their bathroom. Yeah, yeah. He's in the floor of the bathroom, and the men come in, and they say he stinks. Yes, yeah, that's the first and thing they say. They drag him out. Lori, of course, gets in her car. She takes off, and then we cut to a scene of Boone is being taken into jail. And as he's being taken in, we see a man in a cell, I guess, that's going to be beside him. And he's like wearing a priest garb. Yeah. And this is a character called Ashbury. And Boone is taken in there into the cell. And Igerman is waiting in there for him. What we have here is Igerman just starts roughing up Boone. Yeah, the, the cops that are holding him, they kick his legs out from under him. He's kneeling on the ground. And that... What's his name? 
Ashburn. Ashbury. Ashbury. He tells Boone, you're a freak and a cannibal. No, uh, Agerman. That's Agerman. Agerman. Yeah, he calls him a freak and a cannibal. Yeah, a cannibal and that he's come to the wrong town. He's going to give Boone something to remember him by. Yeah, and he just starts beating Boone up. Yeah, and it shows the priest kind of listening from the other room, and he hears them beating Boone. And he's like clawing his hand so hard that there's... He's making his own hand bleed. The police in this station remind me of like the typical racist in like a southern town. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, they yeah. don't they they have to let everybody know who they are. Yeah. And what they can do. Yep. They kind of leave Boone. They put him up on the bed, and he's or he's laying in the floor, all beat up. The priest's kind of looking at his hand because he's still got that deep cut in his hand. This is where it goes into that all, that Ackerman. 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 He goes into his office and Decker's in there looking at that picture. And do you notice the hat in that picture? He looks just like a German Nazi. Yeah. Like yep. general or something. Yep. I noticed that too. <laughs> the hat is spot on. Joyce wants uh, Boone into his custody. And Agerman, of course, when he walks in the office, you know, as Decker's looking at that picture, he says, well, what are you doing, still doing here? And yeah. He says, well, I'm going with uh, with you to Midian. About that time, Agerman gets a call mm-hmm. on the phone, and he's, like, you know, talking briefly, and he says, well, he says, I ain't going anywhere. I got a press conference to get to. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he says he ain't worried about Boone. They got Boone under control. And then as uh, Agerman's walking out of the room... Decker says, "Don't trust him. Don't trust him. He he, ch- he changes. He changes. He changes. The the kind of that he doesn't believe him. That guy. Yeah. And he just keeps walking. Yeah. And then Joyce uh, wants to go to Midian, but Agerman, of course, isn't going to go. Yeah. He kind of follows him, and he says, maybe Decker's right. He was right about the hotel. Yeah. Maybe he's right about this too. He said that maybe there's a cult under the cemetery. Yeah. Of course, it's a cult. Yeah. It's got to be a cult. Of course." <laughs> And then Agerman's like, okay, we'll do this. He gets a couple of his deputies, and he says, go up there, to, up to Midian. And he says, if you, uh, and to check it out, and if you see anything with more than two eyes, shoot it. Mm-hmm. Basically. And let me know. And let me know, basically. Then we cut to a scene of a doctor coming in to in the Boone cell to check him out. Yeah. You know, deputy kind of leads him into the cell. And the deputy, of course, you know, we got to, you know, have the doctor check you out to show we didn't rough you up and then he slams Boone up against the wall. And the doctor, you know, just goes over there and, you know, puts the stethoscope on his chest and it's like listening to his heartbeat. He and he just kind of looks. And he checks his wrist. Yeah, he checks, you know, then he kind of checks his stethoscope, takes it off, and then he checks his wrist. And then he drops his hand and the doctor just kind of freaks out. He says, this man don't have, you know. He don't have a pulse. This man don't have a pulse. And then the daughter just leaves. You yeah. Know? Yeah, which I would have too. And then, of course, the deputy pulls a gun and backs out of the room like, well, if the guy's dead, your gun ain't going to do any good, dumbass. That's what I was thinking. You know, but oh, well. You know, that's the only thing they know is guns. And then we go to the press conference. And I love how, well, I'm going to get to this part in a second. You know, Ironman is there all cocky. says, you know, well, what was it he was talking about? This is not a mine. Yeah, well, really, what it comes down to, you know, he says, you know, we got this guy at, at the hotel, you know, and we got him locked up and everything. And then one reporter says, 
you got a man named Boone. This man named Boone. Is this the same Aaron Boone that was shot in Midian a few days before? And Agerman's like, what are you talking about? So apparently this dumbass who was part of this town didn't even know that this happened. Well, here. it didn't happen in his jurisdiction. Well, Midian is part of his jurisdiction. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's I why. guess because they, they went on their own. Yeah, it made a fool out of him yeah, because he, he, wasn't didn't involved. Know, he didn't know that this was the same thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> and then about this time, you, you still tell Agerman gets a little irked by this. You know, Agerman is just kind of flustered by, you know, that he didn't know that this happened. And about that time, the deputy comes in and whispers something in his ear. And then Agerman is just like, excuse me. And then he just walks out of the uh, press conference. And Deckard is still sitting in the office. And then Agerman just storms in with the doctor and says that, you know, he's just, what are you not telling me? is basically what Agerman is like. You know, he says, Boone is a walking and talking dead in my cell. Yeah, he says, how many bullets did they pull out of him? Yeah. When they shot him up at Midian. He's like, he doesn't have a pulse. Yeah. I mean, Boone, I mean, uh, Decker just sits there and it's just like, he's just unfazed by this. (laughs) I don't know where you were at in yours, but after this quick scene, we are back at Midian in the cemetery. It shows, in my version, it shows Boone in his cell and the priest is talking to him. No, I don't have that in mind. And the priest is, you remember I was telling you that the priest is not consistent in this movie. Yeah. He tells Boone, I'm going to kill you, that he's an abomination. And he spreads blood. He's got his hand up on the wall and where he had cut his hand, it's all spread on the wall. That scene isn't in mind. Then it goes to the police walking in the cemetery. Yeah. Yeah, Joyce and the deputies are walking around, you know, looking around in the cemetery. Then below, of course, you can see the breeder down there, and they can kind of hear these guys walking around. Yeah, they're all in horrified that they hear them coming. They're scared what they're there for. Yeah, and then the police are just like looking around. They kind of thought, well, maybe this is just a waste of time, and let's go Mm -hmm. ahead and go. But then one of them, I guess, kind of sensed somebody was looking, and then he pulls out Anaka, and Anaka is just screaming. He's burning. He's starting he's to burning. smoke. And he's flaking and burning yep. and smoking. And he's like begging them to please help. There's this moment where he's looking up at Joyce. And, and don't they start kind of kicking him? Or they kicked him? him and hit him. The other police, Joyce is just kind of looking down at him. And he's looking, Anaka's looking up at him. He even like grabs at his shoe yeah. for mercy. And Joyce just kind of jerks away from him. But there was just that moment of him looking at down at him. And Joyce is interesting. Joyce is a black man. Black man. A minority yes. who wouldn't even help someone yes. who was technically a minority. But he himself. was staring at him like, I yeah. should help him. Joyce pulls away. Uh, Naka just uh, explodes. He just blows up. The police can't believe what they just seen. Uh-huh. And then they're just like... What happened? What happened? And then Joyce just kind of puts puts two and two together there, and he says, "Well, we have a perfect weapon against these people right up above our heads. You know, it's the sun." And then Joyce says, "Until the sun goes down." Until the sun goes down. And then that guy's looking at him like, "Uh oh." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then about the time we hear an explosion outside. Well, it shows the one cop he went out to throw up. I guess. Yeah. The yeah, knock of blowing right. up made him sick. Yeah. And that's when they hear the police, uh, a car blow up outside, and they go outside, and their car is just on fire, fire and trashed. 
And they're just like, who did this? What happened here? And then that's about the time we see Narcisse driving away. With Rachel. With Rachel. And you're like, okay, well, that's who did that. <laughs> they're traveling in a car to go get Boone. Then that's about the time we cut back to the station and Agarman is called. And mm-hmm. I guess apparently the radio in his car must have still worked. Or somehow they called uh, Agarman because Agarman's like, yeah, I'm on my way. He goes to the priest. To get Ashbury out of his cell. He says, I need your services. He tells him to go to this church and get all your crosses and all your Bibles. Because we're going with God on our side. Yeah, whatever you people use. With God on your side, but I don't really believe. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's what Agerman tells Decker. Agerman's like, we're going with God on our side. Decker's just like, I love the thing that decker hates these fucking people. yes he does he looks down on them yeah he's just like they're just a means like, to an to end, an end. To, i'm an riding end. along yeah <laughs> and then that's when we get to outside where we got these good old boys the local rednecks yeah and they're all with their guns and and everything and they're ready to go shoot some people they're armed and ready to go kill some innocent people yeah and agerman is in there he goes into the armory I guess that's what I guess that's their armory in there, and he's getting loaded up, ready to go, showing these different guns that they have and everything. And they're just—you can tell—they're just they in love with their armory and their yep. artillery. He calls them group outside, and himself included, the Sons of Freedom. The sons of Freedom, aka the Proud Boys. Yeah, we got some Proud Boys here <laughs> in our midst. The Proud you. Boys before the Proud Boys. <laughs> It's weird this is supposed to be in Canada. I guess there are rednecks in Canada, too. But, wow. I mean, it's like when I was looking at these people in this movie, mm-hmm. they're like people I see around here. So it's something <laughs> else. And, you know, they got their guns, and they're loading up, and they're ready to go. They're and, ready to go out and kill them some freaks. Yeah, and Lori is, like, standing outside of the uh, police, police station. station. I guess she's gone there to see Boone or something, I'm assuming. And that's I guess why so. she's there. You know, then we cut to scene, yep, the rednecks are on the road. They're well, the it way. shows her standing in front of the police station and Narcissi that's what I've and got, Rachel got arrived. Next. That's why I got next. Just as the rednecks have left, that's when uh, Narcisse yeah. pulls up with Rachel and they tell her to get in. Then they kind of come to find out that, you know, they say, well, we need to get Boone out because he talked to Bethany yeah. and survived and no one has ever done that. And they need to know what uh, Bathame told him about the you know way to save Midian. Then we cut to inside the police station. There's a knock on the door, and one of the deputies comes and answers. And then Narcisse just busts through the door mm-hmm. and breaks in there. You know, then they and he asked that one guy on the ground. He says, "Where's Boone? Where is he?" You know, and I guess this guy's freaked out looking at how Narcisse looks. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, he's he's in the back. He's in, yeah. He says, I love a coward. Narcisse, I love a coward. <laughs> yeah. And then he just walks off. And then these two other deputies go inside where the holding cell is. They lock themselves in there and they think they can't get in because it's a steel door. Yeah. They're not going to be able to break it down. Rachel transforms into smoke and she comes through the, well, you don't know it's her at first. You just see smoke start coming through the door. Yes. And that cop just starts firing when he sees it. And he hits his own partner. He kills the one guy with his own gun. He hits his own partner in the background of the smoke. And then when the smoke clears, it's Rachel, totally naked. Well, topless. She isn't totally. Oh, she had some pants on? Yeah, yeah. She she isn't totally naked. Oh, okay. She's just got the boobies out. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, there was a friend of mine who worked in a movie theater at the time. <laughs> and he says, when this movie was playing that week, he said, conveniently... Men would go in there? Yeah, when there was time to do a theater check, a lot of the guys <laughs> would... Just standing there. Yeah, would be like, I'm going to go check the theater because they always had it kind of timed out to where they knew where the movie was. And they'd be like, I'm going to go check the theater just see if everything's all right. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember hearing that. I couldn't help but laugh. The movie like, radars are yeah, going off. Yeah, that's right. We got to go in there and check this. We got to be sure the theater's all right. There's she, nothing going on. She looked on. good. And she walks up to the guy and says, well, I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah, she gives him a death kiss. And gives him a, I guess, yeah, it kills she him. She breathed that smoke into him because yeah, it, it's coming out of his mouth. And he drops. And then she goes and lets uh, Narcisse and Lori in. I think Narcisse or Lori gives something to cover so she can cover up. Lori goes in there, sees Boone, and they, you know, kiss. they kiss. And then he changes. Into his nightbreed form. Yeah. And then she kind of looks at him. And then she kisses, kisses him again. Him again. So like, I guess she accepts him she 100%. She accepts him for who he is. And then Narcisse is like, you know, no time for hanky-panky. Basically, it's time to go. <laughs> Let's go. And then we cut back to the scenes of the redneck still going. Mm, yeah. And Ashbury is in the car with Agerman and Decker. And Ashbury's reading from the Bible. And he's reading, Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm yourselves for war and let them go and take vengeance for the Lord of on Midian. And so they burned with fire all cities where they dwelt and killed the kings of Midian, both men and beast. And Agerman's just like, yeah, we're going head to head with the devil himself. I like this part. He he tries to give Decker a gun, yeah. and Decker doesn't like guns. Well, he says, I wouldn't even know what to do. I wouldn't even with. know what to do with that, because he loves to hack people up. That, scene, that, that little section ain't in mine. Oh, yeah, yeah it's I funny. Always, I always liked that, because yeah. I thought that was interesting. Like, no, I wouldn't even know what to do with that. Yeah, I wouldn't even know. I like he. I think he likes the personal, this personal of killing somebody with a knife. Yeah, that's it, exactly. And Ashbury says, you know, I don't believe in the devil, but Decker says you will. Then we cut to the scene. The trucks are arriving outside of Midian. Then all these people, they're getting outside. They're setting up charges. They're going through the cemetery. They're pouring gasoline yeah. on the grass. Then, you know, Agerman's like walking around, kind of getting a survey of the situation. And Ashbury comes up behind and says, you know, there's no evil here. I thought what was funny before they got into the cemetery when they were arriving, they were shooting their guns up in the air. Well, they were shooting this kind of thing that was up there, too, like this little thing outside the cemetery. Oh, I thought they were just shooting their guns. I was like, well, you're letting everybody know you're here. No, there was this thing that they were shooting outside the cemetery. Ah, you know, okay. I guess it's just, you know, they're, you know, we, we got fire our guns. We can't wait. <laughs> um, you know, like I said, Ashbury tells them there's no evil here and that this is sacred ground. And I heard just basically just looks at him. Like, whatever. Just go. And he, yeah. he just slaps ashbury down to the ground <laughs> and this is about time you know they're leading a, like a wire out to you know for the explosive charges outside then we intercut a scene with uh boone is and narcisse and all them are in the car and they're coming back yeah and they they're out like we ain't gonna make it we ain't gonna make it as uh everything is going on decker is standing at the car and he's looking inside. He opens up a little case, and there's his mask and everything. Yeah. And Joyce mm -hmm. comes up, 
And then Decker just kind of steps away from the door and he says, uh, I got something I, to show you. I think I found something. You need to yeah. look at this. And then Joyce walks up there to the case and Deckard walks away from him and he pulls this like, little small serrated knife. Joyce is like, what? I, what? I don't understand this. And about that time, Deckard just slashes him a couple times. Slits his throat. Yeah. And He's hell on throats. Yeah. Well, that's the quickest that's way to quickest kill somebody. Way, yeah. We start uh, seeing everything getting prepared. It's almost like everybody's getting positioned. You see the rednecks outside with their guns. <laughs> Decker's got his stuff. Yeah. Boone and all them are headed back, and then the sun starts to go down. Yeah. And about the time the explosion they happens. Set the, they uh, set everything yeah. off. And then, you know, about that time the explosion happens, you know, Narcisse is like, we're, we're too late. We're they too can late. see it in the sky. Then this is basically where Midian is under attack. It starts collapsing in places, yeah. and the night breeder just kind of all running around. They're scared. Like, they don't really know what to do. And the cops and the uh, rednecks storm in. And yeah. then Pelican. He gets outside and takes on a redneck in a truck. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the truck hits Pelican. But it's almost like he transformed or something right when it hit him and it didn't hit him. Yeah. Because the guy hits Pelican, but it doesn't hurt him. The truck just goes and it falls down into a, a weak place in the ground and yeah. then falls right through into Midian. Let me ask you a question. Sure. You remember when uh, Rachel was talking about, and she said some people turn into wolves. In the very first scene when it was going, showing all the history on the walls, at the very end before it goes into Boone's dream, it shows a wolf, like a live wolf. That's Babette's father. Okay, well, it never him. shows him. Yeah, I know. You never see him in the movie. Okay. one of the monsters. Okay, I was wondering which one of them, because it never showed him shift into a wolf. Yeah, that's uh, Babette's father. Okay. Yeah. Because I didn't know when he kept hearing that growling, yeah. was that a wolf? Pelican never, he shifts into something else. Yeah. And then we cut to Decker standing outside, medium with his mask, as yep. Laurie and Narcisse and all of them arrive. And they're running in there, and Decker just kind of holds his mask up and looks at it. Now, in the uncut, I think the cabal cut, the mask talks to Decker. Yeah, it's like he's throwing his voice into the mask, and oh, the mask is telling him to creepy. do these things. Yeah. Because it, it shows when Lori's running, she falls through the ground, and she ends up in the underground part. And the night breeder's still kind of running around panicking, and Liesberg's like telling them, don't leave, this is our home. Yeah. And Boone runs in and says, go. Yeah. You're all going to get killed if you don't leave. He says it's time for them to fight. Yeah, they need to fight or they'll all be slaughtered. Yeah, and the police are just outside shooting anybody in sight. Yeah, and he tells them, Bathame needs to be moved. Liesberg says, well, yes, it can be done. And Boone's like, okay, well, it's time to fight. And then, of course, like you said, above ground, the breed are just being mowed down. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them are, are a little bit of fighting, but for the most part, they're just being slaughtered. Yes. There's one version in the Cabal Cut where the rednecks are down below, and they're, like, sitting on some of them little drawbridges, and the breed are running around. They're just sitting there and just shooting them on Aww. the drawbridges, like, you know, just, just like a genocide, basically, yeah. is what's going on. And then Lori is around in there and she turns around and there's Decker. And Decker starts running after her. Oh, that's not in mind. Yeah, it's in this yeah. one. Or he's chasing her down. And she runs in and sees that Babette alone uh, under some debris. Uh, that, I got that way down in here. There's a oh, lot okay. that was cut out well, of that, this part. Yeah. 
Boone is up front and he tells the breed they need to arm themselves, defend themselves. Starts breaking boards off of coffins. Okay, that one in mind. And hands them off to these people to use them as clubs, basically. And tells them, if you can't fight for yourself, then do it for your children. Because there are children here. And that's when all the redneck hillbillies go underground with their guns and they're firing at anything that's moving down there. Mm-mm. And Lori is continuing to be chased and then she runs by and there's Narcisse there. And then Decker's standing there okay, and so Narcisse that's... gets in the way. That's when Lori falls to the ground. She falls to the ground in the middle of all the slaughter of the rednecks just shooting everybody. And she runs into this other little room, and that's where Babette is in there, mm-hmm. and she's been hurt. I mean, she's okay, but she's been hurt. Yeah, and the redneck is going to shoot Babette. Yeah, it's just basically, she's just going to shoot. He's going to just shoot a woman and a child who don't look any different, and he don't care. And then about that time, he starts to start screaming, and then you see a hand and smoke through coming through yeah. him. And then you see that that's Rachel. Yeah. And she fucked this guy She's up. Like, she's like my favorite character. Oh, yeah. She's awesome. She's, she, she's, she's like, quiet and efficient. Oh, she's one of my favorite uh, mm-hmm. the breed. There's a number of them. I like, like the females. Yeah, this. I do too. Because uh, there's on, a scene coming up that's really cool. Yeah, I know. I'm, I know. I think I know which one you're talking about. And then we go back to up top and there's just more breed being shot. And Boone is fighting these people up there. I mean, he's mm-hmm. jumping. He's kicking people. Igerman, you see him walking around with his gun and he's just basically doing like everybody else. He's shooting everything that moves and he's shooting. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. man, woman, or child. He's shooting everything. The priest comes up behind him and tells yeah. him, stop killing the children. And he pulls a gun like he's going to kill that guy. Yeah. And the chief calls him a faggot, takes uh, his gun from him. I'm trying to remember if it's in the Cabal Cut or if it's in the novel. I can't remember. But the reason that Ashbury is in jail is that not only was he drinking, but he's a cross-dresser. He's trying to hide who he really is. Yeah, yeah. Iron Man just basically takes the gun away from him. Ashbury's trying to stop him because he says, you're just killing children. Iron Man takes the gun away from Ashbury and is about to kill him. And then Boone kind of runs and kicks Iron Man away and tells Ashbury to leave if they don't you know, like priests here. Barry takes his collar off and he says, I want to see. And, you know, I guess basically Ashbury's denouncing his faith now. And then as we're going in there, officers are just shooting up breed outside. And then they're standing there and one of them just grabs his neck. Yeah, he's some, a spike or something. Yeah, hit him. yeah. And then they're like, oh, God, what's this? And he pulls it out. And then one of them looks over in the corner and we see Shunasazi there. And she's just kind of seductively she's, kind of enticing him over there. She's like, almost like a bird snake looking. Yes, yeah. Like, but she's sedu- She's being, you know, kind of leaning her body towards him and seducing him. Then the one, one cop is walking up toward her. And then the one that got the thing in his he neck. Dies. And he's like, I ain't feeling good. He dies. I, yeah, falls over. Yeah, I'm not feeling good. And he falls over. Mm-hmm. And then the one guy walks in there and Shunasazi's standing there and he just grabs like the back of her robe and it's almost like she's letting him take off her robe. Mm -hmm. And then she just moves her back and then you see these big quills come out. She spins real quick and just shoots him into his face like a porcupine. Uh, Yeah, and he's just, oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the girls in this, the women in this were my favorite. Yeah, 
basically she just puts quills in all these guys kills them and then we cut to seeing the boone and ashbury going down below find lylesburg he's hiding you know the whole place is starting to come down and i think lylesburg says bathomay is going to destroy everything and you know the whole place is going to you know blow and this is when boone tells lylesburg to let the berserkers Berserkers go but you know lylesburg says you know, they're uncontrollable. He, and he says, says, well, let them handle it. Let them handle it. It's, you know, yeah. let them do what they got to do. I mean, Lylesburg seems reluctant to do this at first, but he's like, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. this is what's got to be done. And then I have the scene where Lylesburg is down there, and he's got a key in his hand, and he's going to open let the, the berserkers out. out. And then about that time, one of the guys, has uh, one of those uh, good Scopes. old boys, has a laser, laser scope, scope on, and then he points the gun at Lylesburg and shoots him right in the middle of the the head and kills him and as Lyleberg falls down in this movie he has these things that you think are gills on his cheeks but as he's falling down it's not gills it's eyes and the eyes open up on oh, his cheeks okay we missed a scene after they were talking about letting the berserkers out the priest is down in bat with bathism he drops his bible on the ground, and he calls Bathame his god. I didn't have that in a minute. Yeah, he starts... Or I think I had that later. He starts to stick his hand in the water, and it splashes him in the face. That's later in mine. I got that uh, on there, but that's well, later. Maybe they cut some things oh, out. Oh, yeah, they or, cut stuff out a lot Then of it goes to being him being killed. Uh, yeah, I got that, but that's later <clears throat> on in mine. Boone finds Lysbury dead, and he continues to turn that thing and let the berserkers out. Uh, yeah, because, like I said, the eyes thing, and that's when uh, Boone... Because there's some other creature that comes through. Yeah, there's It's a, like a flying creature, and it takes out the yeah, guy that shot Lylesburg. That was weird. Then Boone opens up... The berserkers. For the berserkers And to they're come. ugly, yeah, and... Yeah. He... They just... They stop there, and they look at Boone, and then they just walk right by him. And well, they, he jumps up out of their way. Oh, yeah, that's right. You, yeah, the theatrical cut, he says something to him before. Oh, yeah. he didn't say anything to him. He was just looking at him and then he jumps out of their way. Yeah, yeah. Then next thing you know, there's a, we go back up above ground and there are people start, there's still redneck shooting that breed. And then all of a sudden a big arm comes out and just grabs one guy in a crotch. And that's when the berserkers start coming out and they, they start, start killing re- the rednecks and it was awesome. Yeah, and the guns and the flamethrowers are having no effect on these things. The rednecks start running. Yeah, they start running and they start retreating. And they're like, you know, they want none of this. And then Igerman's coming out of there and he's just all disheveled and messed up. <laughs> I like the one guy trying to set the berserker on fire and he sets himself on fire. Oh, yeah. He has the uh, yeah. tank on him. Yeah, that dumbass. <laughs> and Igerman comes out and, you know, all these people running. He says, he calls them cowards. He says, I'll kill all of you. <laughs> I like that. you cowards. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the berserkers are just out there. They're tossing cars around and everything, and they're just wrecking shop up there. Yeah. And then we cut to a scene of Lori's underground, and she runs into Peliquin. Peliquin pulls her into the room with the wall of prophecy. Yeah. And he tells her of these prophecies, and he mm. says he made Boone. And it shows that picture of him biting Boone. Yeah, and then he realized that he's responsible. He said that Boone is not here to save us, but to destroy us. 
which, you know... I don't believe that. Well, it was to destroy Midian. Midian. Yeah, but not them. And that's, he's kind of blaming himself for that. Then we cut back to up top, and Boone is there. And then he turns around and hears somebody coming up behind him, and this is Deckard. Mm-hmm. And Deckard has Narcissus' head on one of his machetes. And Decker says, death everywhere and you and me in the middle. In my version, there is no head. Yeah, Narcisse They just lived. get in a fight. Yeah, Narcisse lives. Yeah. And then they start to scrap up there and then they fall through the ground and land on the rope bridge. And they're fighting, you know, Boone is just trying to avoid Decker, who keeps, you know... He has double knives. Uh, yeah, he with has a double knife knives. And, yeah, and he's trying to just chop Decker or chop Boone up. Then the rope bridge gives away, I guess, where Decker kept hitting the ropes. He's cut them. Yeah, he's cut them. And then they fall down to another bridge below, and they're both kind of dazed and everything. And Boone starts to walk away, and then Decker raises up and throws a knife right through Boone's chest. Of course, Boone seems like he's hurt, and then Decker gets up to go after him, and that's when Boone just kind of unleashes on him. Mm-hmm. And starts fighting him and is fighting Boone. Boone just eventually just gets the upper hand on him. Deckard is like on the edge of this kind of cliff area in there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, not yet. He mm-hmm. grabs Deckard, pulls his mask off. And then he pulls Deckard up to him where the knife blade is sticking out of his chest and stabs Deckard with it. Then and throws him off. Then throws him off on the cliff and Deckard falls and is dead. He's dead. And, Good. And then uh, Lori comes up to Boone, and Boone says, you know, pull the knife out. And she pulls the knife out. And then, as after that, it's the point you hear Bathame, you can almost hear him, like, calling to Boone. Boone follows the voice, and then Ashbury's coming down the steps behind him and follows him. As he gets down there, Bathame is starting to glow, and he tells Boone, you've destroyed our refuge. But he says, no home is forever. He says, you must rebuild what you've destroyed. You must find me and heal me and save me from my enemies. He says, you're no longer Boone. You're a cabal. You know, save me mm-hmm. from my enemies. Then Ashbury, after this is happening, you see almost Nightbreed dismantling mm-hmm. Bathame. Like he's a, I guess he's a thing living in a statue. And, you know, Boone is walking out with Laurie, and Ashbury goes up to Bathame, and he drops his Bible, like okay. you were saying. Yeah. And then he's walking up to this, some of uh, Bathame's blood in this, like, uh, little, little, pool. little pool. And Bathame almost looks down, Ashbury, like, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. You're not part of us. And then it's almost like this thing flips up onto Ashbury and burns him. And Ashbury starts screaming, and mm-hmm. he's, like, deformed, and he's saying, why, why? And then we cut to Midian just collapsing in all itself, and the breed, and everybody is left in there is trying to escape and get out. Everything is just it's being destroyed, and then finally the whole place collapses in, and you see Lori and Boone outside, and what I guess whatever breed got out, and the Midian just blows up, and it's, mm-hmm. it's gone. Then we cut to a scene... Uh, Boone and Laurie are kind of standing on a hill. I think what people have called the Gone with the Wind scene. Yes, in this movie. the background looks like the sun rising soon. Yep, 
Boone tells Lori, I've got to go. i got to go help him. And she's like, I'll go with you. And he, he says, said, you can't. You can't. And he says, I'll be back for you. And he says, like, what, when I'm 90 and you still look like you are now? Yeah. She's just, he says, but I got to. I got to go. And he, she's like, well, make me one of you. And he's, he's like, like, no. I can't. I can't. And then she just kind of turns away. She says, fine, just go. And then he turns, he just looks at her and he turns to walk away. She calls his name, says Boone, and then he turns around and looks, and she has one of Deckard's knives. She stabs herself. And she stabs herself in the stomach, and she falls over. And then he just looks down at her, and he, she's just like, you know what you got to do. He just looks, and he bites her. And as he does this, she kind of sits there. She's like in this kind of coma kind of state there for a minute. And then all of a sudden, her eyes open back up. She woke up quick. And she's fine. Yeah, she transformed pretty quick by comparison to the way <laughs> Boone did. In a way, she's a night breed now. We mm-hmm. don't know what power she has, but she's one now herself. That scene wasn't in the theatrical. And then we go back to a scene in the ruins of Midian, and Ashbury is there. And he's yeah. like lighting candles, and Agerman walks up. And Ashbury looks over at Agerman and says, I can smell their God. You know, he burned me, and I'm going to find them all and burn them. And Agerman's just, like, walking up, and now you could see he's just a broken person by what he's seen. And he looks at Ashbury, who now technically has the power over him, and he says, take me with you. And Ashbury just kind of looks at Agerman and grabs him by the throat and just basically just strangles the blood right out of his neck. You know, just, like, strangles him. And then uh, Ashbury leaves to begin his hunt for the breed and Bathomay. Do you think he was angry because they rejected him? Yeah. Because he felt like he belonged there, too. He felt too, like he belonged there. And, and they rejected, rejected him. And he was rejected. The last of the breed are standing in a barn. It's like a barn out in the middle of nowhere. Babette's like, says, who will come for us? And then Kinski's like a cabal. He's the one that unmade Midian. Babette even asks, says, well, when will he come for us? And Rachel's like, tonight, tomorrow night, on the next wind. And then Babette just looks in like the next wind. And then we cut to a scene of Boone and Laurie on a hilltop. And I guess they're ready to make their journey to find a new home for the night breed. And that is the end. In my my version, the scene on the hill didn't happen. So you don't even know that Laurie became a night breed. No, no, no. And Narcisse they, is alive. Yeah, Narcisse is alive and they're in the they're just in the barn. He talks to him. And you it shows all the night breed in the, the barn and that's the end. And, the scene oh, yes. where Ashbury is standing down at this place and he's looking up Decker. He has his Decker's body strapped up to like this cross kind yeah, of thing. like crucified. And he says, they burned me, master, and I want to burn them back. Then he takes some of the blood of Bathame and puts it into Decker's wound where he was yeah. stabbed. And then he pulls his hand back out, and then you sit there and wait a second, a few mm-hmm. seconds, and then Deckard comes back to life. Suddenly. Suddenly. And then uh, Ashbury's like, hallelujah, praise God, something like that, hallelujah. And then it ends. That's the priest guy was very, like he first started out like saying to Boone, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. You're an abomination. Yeah. Then he comes down to, to Midian. And he says that Bathomace, his God, he, he throws his Bible down. And he says, God, looking at him, I guess they rejected him. So now he's now going. he's going 
with the one that wants to kill them. Yeah, yeah. So that's, wow. And that is the end of the the film Nightbreed. Nightbreed. We're going to be giving you uh, some of our behind-the-scenes info and going to our final thoughts on this film and just some general discussion on the film. So do you have any uh, trivia you want to jump into first? I'm just going to read a few things. Sure thing. um, IMDb. Clive Barker has gone on record as saying that he felt the distributor Fox and financers Morgan Creek Productions never understood the film mm-hmm. and simply cut the story to pieces so it would fit their idea of the picture of what the picture should have been. Mm-hmm. David Cronenberg wrote the script for Naked Lunch 1991 in his spare time when he wasn't acting in this. Yes, I remember hearing about that. Lausberg's voice was originally redubbed by an anonymous German actor for the correct accent, much to Doug Bradley's annoyance. Yeah, he's been quoted on that in a book that I have, and he says they didn't want to pay for him to fly back over to the United States to dub his own voice. <laughs> so he says probably some um, executive, some uh, fuckwit executive rolled out of bed one day. He said, oh, Lylesburg, that's German. Because in the theatrical cut, he sounds more German because that's the dub voice. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, director's cut, it's all Doug Bradley's voice except for one scene. Horror writers John Skip and Craig Spector have cameos as corpses in the hotel room scene. Oh, wow. I didn't, yeah, I know who those are. I didn't, know, I didn't even notice that. I'll just do one more. Okay. The scene with the pickup truck crashing into Midian was done in a single take with a miniature for the pickup truck. Oh, wow. It wasn't yeah. even a real truck. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the way they did it back then. You know, they'd use miniatures and stuff like that. That's all I'm going to do. That's oh, so all you're going to do? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, uh, what I have here, I have a good little portion here on some background on this movie. I ain't going to go into to it too deeply because I could go for a little bit. The film was released on February 16th, uh, 1990, which I was in 11th grade at that time. Wow. And the budget of the film was $11 million, but I did read it reached around 20-something million dollars due to reshoots and cost overruns. And the film only made around $16 million in the theater when it was out this was a supposed to be the first film of a trilogy that never happened and the film was shot in pinewood studios in the in, in the uk and with some other pickup scenes in like calgary and alberta canada mostly it was shot in the pinewood which they were shooting there at the same time they were shooting uh, batman the first batman movie because they stole stuff from the Batman set at times <laughs> that they were throwing out. Like the gargoyles that were in oh, uh, the yeah. cemetery, mm-hmm. those came from the Batman set. Oh, wow. Yeah. The production went over budget, and Morgan Creek, the distributor, did not understand the film. They did not understand, because they, they even asked, like, well, why are the monsters the heroes? And Barker said, that's the point of the movie. And they thought they were getting a hell, big-budget Hellraiser movie. Where there was like these monsters that were going to be killing, mm-hmm. you know, people. This is an alternate idea of what who the good guy and bad guy is. Yeah, and they did not understand that. So basically, that's when the problems started setting in. What they started to do, they started trimming the film down, cutting stuff in median. They wanted to turn the film into more of a slasher film with Deckard. Doesn't 
yeah. fit the name. Yeah, it doesn't. Let me see. The producer quit the movie because they were going to actually, I think they were going to fire Barker because of the cost overruns and Barker was still shooting things how he wanted. I think the producer kind of took the fall instead and said, instead of Barker quitting, I want to quit. When they wanted to re-edit the film for to make it what they wanted, the more slasher film, the editor quit. And they brought in a new editor to do the theatrical cut that you watched. Oh, cut a lot of stuff out. Cut a lot of stuff out. And then when it was all said and done, they didn't know how to market the film because you really didn't see much in the way of previews for this on TV, I remember at the time. The only reason I knew about it so well is because I'd been following in Fangora for months. And when it was all said and done and it was out, I remember reading this. That Barker was at one of the Morgan Creek executives. And the Morgan Creek, he told the executive, said, you know, you screwed this movie. You really, y'all messed it up and you didn't care, basically. And the executive said, yeah. He said, yeah, we did. And they just, it's like they put all this money into it and just pissed it away. That's a shame. Barker, after this movie, they said he was a mess for months mm-hmm. afterwards. I, I remember they said that he he wouldn't direct another film for a long time after this. He said it just fried him because he, he said something like, he said, when I'm writing my books, I'm in control of everything. Mm-hmm. I can put what I want down, pen on paper. I can write whatever I want to do. He said, when you're dealing with studios, you're dealing with their money and you can't express yourself like you want to because they're going to come in and meddle. That's what happened. Why you have these cuts of this film like this, because you have this theatrical cut, you have this director's cut, and then you have this other cut. Well, there's four different cuts, I think. I have one on a disc called The Ultimate Cabal Cut. Three hours and 20 minutes long. Oh, wow. There are even more scenes in the movie. Yeah, because I thought this was long for a horror movie. Yeah. Well, this was a... I never really called this a horror movie. It's more of a dark fantasy yeah. kind of... The stuff at Midian at the end of it is almost an hour long. Because you see a lot more monsters. You, yeah. By memory's correct, you actually see the scene where Deckard chops Narcissus's head off. And it's just... There's so much there. I don't know. It's just... It's like... This was one of the films that just got screwed up so badly mm. that it just still disappoints me to this day that all this happened. And like I said, Barker just felt like, you know, like I said, his vision was kind of destroyed. But then thankfully, the director's cut footage was found, you know, because for a long time, everybody thought it was lost. And then at the last minute before they were going to do a special edition, they found the footage and they let him recut the film to how he wanted it to be done originally. I mean, and he said himself, it's not a perfect movie despite my director's cut, but he said he can live with it now. He always said he, after it's happened, he said he felt like I can finally put closure on this now. So I'm happy that at least this director's cut is out now. And even you can watch that Cabal cut. If you really like this movie and you want more, watch that Cabal cut, the ultimate Cabal cut. It is on YouTube. It's worth watching. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's long. It's a sit down, but it's (laughs) it's worth watching. That's uh, pretty much the end of my trivia right there. I mean, like I said, I could have gone way deep into this because there's a bunch of stuff behind the scenes I learned about this movie that I was blown away by. Like, for example, the two Nightbreed, Lude and Leroy Gum, were reshoots. 
Because you notice they were never with the other night breed. They were just together. And that's why. Because they were were last minute additions. You know, stuff like that. But like I said, I mean, that's pretty much going to be the end of my trivia. And what we're going to do finally here is I'm going to let you jump into your final thoughts on this film. This movie made me feel a little frantic because (laughs) you told me how long it took you to take your notes. I'm very long-winded in my note, and I had planned to split it half Saturday and do the rest Sunday, so I wasn't spending my whole half a day on the weekend. Then my dumbass was procrastinated and didn't do it Saturday, so I started a little bit later this morning doing my notes. Four hours later... I had to stop doing my notes because I had to go pick up our Chinese food. And I was feeling like, okay, in two hours, we're or in less than an hour, we're going to start this podcast. I was feeling a little bit fr- frantic, like I wasn't ready. I even left our food. I paid for our food and just walked out and left it. This kid had to come out and tell me I left our food. I was like, oh my God. Oh Lord. I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about this one. But I did enjoy this one. I like all the monster stuff. I think it's really unique. I like the story, and I like that you can relate it to life. Yeah. I felt like this was... The Nightbreed didn't really bother anybody. They wanted peace. They wanted to live where they were. They didn't want any any beef with anybody. Yeah, that's pretty They wanted to be left alone. Like so many groups in this country right now. They just want to live their lives. They want to be left alone to be who they are. And you've got people that just cannot allow that. They just want to be in everybody's business all the time. And they tell lies and make up things that these people are dangerous and all this stuff. And they're not. There's no proof to show that they're hurting anybody. And that's like all this, what were they called? The freedom sons yeah, in this sons movie of freedom, they didn't even know they're just like oh let's just go get the freaks we're just follow us and you just shoot first ask questions yeah, later like you don't yeah. even know what's going on yeah i just thought wow like i related a lot to the stuff and there's a lot of religious stuff in here um i think boone can kind of be a jesus reference because he yeah. was sent to take his people no yeah, i could see that yeah and save his people find another place for them or whatever yeah some people might not like that reference but well i can see the reference it's accurate it's pretty accurate i could see it i could see the points of religious being a judging entity in this Mm -hmm. over reigning everybody like you know standing over everybody punishing them for being different i was just like we picked this at a good time uh yeah that wasn't my intention originally yeah but you kind of did that with running man when we did that like that was when covid first started and that was a good time to choose that movie the funny thing is is i've been planning to do this movie for about a year (laughs) (laughs) and it finally just fell down into this but i think maybe it's fate like a lot of stuff in this movie it was meant to be uh, for us to do it at this time i enjoyed the deepness because at first when i first watched it I was like, I'm not tapping into this at all. You do that every time. I know. I was like, I'm not tapping into this. I wish that the Nightbreed were deeper, meant something deeper than just being freaks from the past that, you know. Yeah. But they are deeper. They're, yeah, they they're a symbolism of anybody that feels different. 
that just want to be who they are. Yeah. And want to be left alone and not punished for that. I thought that was really cool in this. And when I watched it today, like I was trying to take it in. Um, I wish I had had time to read that monster book, but I just didn't have time. Yeah. I was literally running out the door to go get our food. I was like, damn it, I'm not done with my notes. And we're starting the podcast in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I did. I'm really glad we did this one. Even though I remember images in my memories of the female, like the girl with the spikes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember her. I remember the one where his eyes flash. Oh, Peliquin. Pel- yeah. I had such a hard time. I was annoying the crap on myself when I was doing my notes because the characters weren't in it for a while and I would forget what their name was yeah. and I had to open that book and find out who they were because I didn't want to scroll all the way back up through my notes trying to find their name. Oh, yeah. So I was looking for their picture and to, oh, this is who it is. And I was typing my notes. I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I was it's, starting to panic. It's a lot to take in. It was like, Procrastination's yeah. not a good thing. No, not no, not when you're doing something like this. No, because I didn't expect to feel this way about this movie. Like I, I didn't know what I was gonna say, but I think I, I finally started really taking it in that it's not so much them being a specific thing; they're a symbol yeah. of a lots of different things. I got it today. I was like, oh, okay. The Nightbreed are actually pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yes. I I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I th- like the characters. Um, Boone was great. I haven't seen a lot of his stuff that he's acted in, but I, I've seen a few odds in his. I things. thought he was good in this. He yeah. was a good, good choice for that role. Yeah. So, what did you think of um, the others in the film? What did you think of uh, Decker, Doctor Decker, David Decker? I know I was running my mouth about him, but he's actually a pretty cool character. Yeah. Like when he's in costume, when he's not, I'm like, you shut up, you nerd. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm like, hey, just so emotionless, and I just want to smack him. Well, I think, yeah, it's just that's what I liked about his his character is that his control, but when he loses that control, Control, the few times you see it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just very methodical. But I think that's why he chooses a knife because he can have an ultimate control how he kills somebody. Yeah. And what he does. Pretty cool character. He's like, a, the mask is really cool. He's a good villain. Yeah. I wish I knew if there was a reason behind that mask, why they chose that. But you said a few things. So, yeah. maybe it was that. Yeah, I think it was just... They a, just drew it and then yeah. they made it from that. Because it's really kind of like a really plain mask. But it kind of reminds me of Dark Knight of the Stare- Scarecrow. Especially in the last scene where he, he comes back alive and he's reaching his arms out and screaming. Yeah. For some reason, that reminds me of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. No idea why, but it does. Just yeah. the way the mask looks. Yeah. Kind of like, I guess, that canvas-looking material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a scarecrow mask. But I thought he was pretty cool. He was pretty vicious. Yes. Yeah, don't get in his way. Yeah, very true. You probably could have, like, you know, wondered, what started him on that? I was going to get into this with my review, but I can throw it into yours. You could almost do a prequel film to this just to see. You ain't got to explain how he got to be the way he is exactly. But you could almost do a film of like showing how he's done this kind of thing before to somebody else. Where, you know, like I was talking about in our review where he does all these killings while he's setting somebody else up. To take the fall. To take the fall. And then they take the fall 
And they end up on. being killed or whatever. Yeah. He sets them up to die. And then he just starts over again. That's almost a film in and of itself mm -hmm. right there. Dr. Decker Chronicles. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. That's it. That was kind of an interesting little peppered part of the story. Exactly. Of like the serial killer kind of part. But it did play into why Boone got killed. Yeah. Really, I kind of think it was kind of fate for him to die like that. So he could become the Nightbreed. I agree with that. I think a lot was fate in this movie. Like moments that were supposed to happen to set you on your your way, your story or whatever. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm kind of glad the notes are over on this. <laughs> notes are the worst part of doing a podcast. Just way too serious about wanting to do a good job. And like, I I'm not someone that just scribble shit down on something and, and try to do a podcast from that. I think, yeah, it depends on the movie you're doing, too. Some of them aren't as complicated as yeah. other ones, and some of them got a lot of backstory and things like that that you got to get down. And there's This a one was just a combination of, we've done longer movies, I think, but there was just a shitload going on in this movie. This is the longest movie we've done. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought we'd done something long, this long before. Uh, the longest movie I think we've done before this one might have been Blade Runner. I don't know, because there was a couple that we cut close to having to do two parts. Yeah, because this movie's over two hours, and I don't yeah. think we've done a movie over two hours yet. Yeah, we're cutting. We had to cut close on this one. Well, so. and, and, but here's the sad part about this whole thing. You did notes on the theatrical cut that was 30 minutes or <laughs> so shorter. My notes are still crazy. Yeah, so just imagine if you had actually watched the director's cut. I feel like we can't do this podcast tonight. <laughs> yeah, we can't do it. Yeah, I'll be taking notes till next week sometime. So, so yeah, so yeah. Just imagine if you would have done that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad this is over. Yeah, yeah. But I did. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, it's like I said, you did fine though. I mean, despite yeah. by that, you know, you did fine with the notes. So even though you <laughs> sound like you were having trouble with it, I mean, there's been what episodes was that? Dazed and confused was the worst one for me. Yeah, because there was just shitload going on and bouncing from character to character and who's this person and jumping in another car yeah. with someone else and going to this place and then going to this place. I thought I was going to lose my mind yes. doing that one on that one because that one was all over the place. Big Trouble in Little China was second episode. Yeah, so yes. we were very green. Yeah, yeah, I know you. Uh, yeah, you you dropped us in there both feet on that one. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. You didn't ease our in. We're going to do a, a rough one right we away. We went from Brad to Dazed and confused exactly yeah i mean that was probably the roughest one i've ever done but uh do you have any other things you want to no, say I'm ready to do my rating okay i guess uh we're going to do out of one to ten button face masks <laughs> one being the worst ten being the best where does a not breed fall for you ratings wise uh, an eight an eight. Oh, yeah. that's, that's a good solid number right there. I, I liked mean, it. I yeah. like the monsters. I like all the... I mean, they're really gross to look at, but they're really interesting because they're all different. Yeah, they're very detailed. Like somebody makers. like to have an idea for each one and they not be anything alike, which makes it a shame that they wanted to cut so much of the Nightbreed out. Yeah. You well, know, because they spent so much on creating this world. That was Morgan Creek's point. They wanted yeah. less of Midian and the Nightbreed and more of Decker. Which... It's the movie is about the Nightbreed. The movie's called Nightbreed. I know. Why yeah. would you spend? It ain't about Doctor Decker. No, no. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. That's something I don't understand. Either. But so an eight. Well, I guess uh, I'm gonna go into mine here. I'm a big Clive Barker fan. I love his books. You know, the films have been made from his movies. Some of them vary in quality, as films do. This is 
probably his films I would say Hellraiser to me the ones he directed Hellraiser is the best one this is the next and then Lord of Illusions is the third so it's kind of like in the order he did them on what I find in quality and I know he said about this film is that this was a movie about him coming out as gay so you can kind of see that in this movie in some Mm -hmm. ways you know like i said naturally you can see it and i could see it even at the time i watched this in the theater that this was a parable for that you know i was a little more savvy by that point not like not on Elm street 2 where the whole movie was about being gay or coming out as gay and i totally went over my head <laughs> yes. i was so young i did not see that till years <laughs> later i did not see it till as i got older. i was like wait a minute <laughs> you know but yeah um but i mean to me I see that part of it, but I always looked at this movie as like an allegory for intolerance in general against Mm -hmm. people. Like you were kind of saying, it's an intolerance against the gay community, against minorities, or Mm -hmm. like you say, anybody that's different. different. Yeah, Yeah. it's just, it's a movie really about that kind of intolerance. It's something you were talking about is a film that you look at today where things are sadly not too far off from this, where they would rather hurt anybody who is different than them than to actually try to understand them. That's the world we're kind of living in now. Or step back and say, the problem isn't theirs, it's mine. You ain't got to agree with everybody. You don't have to understand them. You don't have to understand them, Mm -hmm. but you got to live with them. And it seems like we're getting into a world more and more where people don't want to do that anymore. I mean, and I'm even going to go into something, you know, like I said, you'd rather kill them than understand them. There was this person at this um, CPAC whatever that thing is recently Mm -hmm. and he said we need to eradicate the trans community what do we have in this movie trans lifestyle and what do we have here these redneck hillbilly people Mm -hmm. going in eradicating something that i I don't understand never did anything therefore i'm gonna kill it I mean, I hate bringing up politics and these kinds of things but it keeps happening you know like i said i know we did in the dead zone and kind of just bringing it up right here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that hammered it even more home to me how potent this movie mm-hmm. is even now. I mean, like I said, I know this was a movie about Clive Barker coming out as gay, and I can mm-hmm. see that. But, boy, there is so much more in this movie. Mm-hmm. And as time goes on, you mm-hmm. see it. I don't know. It's just anybody who has felt like they didn't belong can relate to this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be gay. You don't have to be a minority. No. You could just be somebody different. You could mm-hmm. be have a deformity. Or learning disability. Yeah, you or don't feel anything like, like you, you learn as well yeah. as ever anybody. And that's the one thing I got out of this movie. Everybody sees things differently. Like yeah. any kind of art, what you're going to see in one thing is not what someone else is going to see in it. That's just how it works. You know, that's the one thing that I gleaned from this movie even the first time I seen it. You know, that it's just about, you know, people that are different being, a, you know, take trying to be taken down by people who had an intolerance for their difference. And it's about people who cannot let people be. They have to be in control of everything they don't like. It's that thing, like, mind your own business. There's absolutely no evidence this certain group is hurting anybody. You don't have to understand them. You don't have to even care about how they live their lives. Just leave them alone. Yeah, you would think you would think people would do that. Worry yeah. about your own life yeah. and your own salvation and your own heart. I don't know. I mean, it's just like I said. There's a lot of um, the layers in this movie. I've always find interesting, and I continue to find interesting. 
I almost find it, and I actually got to kind of thinking about that this time watching it when I was really digging into it. It's almost like Deckard was mad at Boone in a way for leaving him. I don't know. I almost got it. I mean, it's it's just faintly there, but it's almost like Deckard loved Boone in a weird way. And it's like when Boone left to join the Nightbreed, he felt betrayed. I just looked at that and I thought, well, it's not overtly obvious, but I also kind of looked at it. I think we even talked about it in the main episode there of that I felt like also you could almost look at it the way I was saying there, but you also kind of look at it like Deckard felt like his whole point of what he was doing was for nothing. Because if Boone came back alive, then all the other breeders that he killed could Mm -hmm. come back to life too. So really everything he was doing for was for nothing. He was like, well, of course now I can just kill these night breed. Now, all this has led me here, is -hmm. what he told the guy in the taxidermy station. So, I mean, you can look at this many different ways. I mean, there's no real wrong approach to really look at this movie in that regard. Because you didn't really delve very deep into Decker. No, no. I mean, it's like, it almost kind of came off to me as Deckard had conflicting feelings about Boone. You know, maybe all I said was kind of merged in there into one thing. It was like, I hate you for leaving me, but I want to kill you too. Something like that. But I don't know. It's just, like I said, I mean, this movie, I will say, is one movie, it's almost like Blade Runner in some ways, where every time I watch it, I catch little things in it that I didn't see before. And it's like I said earlier, it's almost like he's also angry that he can't hide his secrets with Boone being alive. Yeah, that's true. Because he thought once Boone was dead, he would take the rap and he wouldn't Mm -hmm. be... They would never think somebody else did that. Exactly. But as long as Boone is walking around and able to say anything to anybody, there's a chance he would. He would be found out. And his work wouldn't get finished like he felt like he did Mm -hmm. because it was like I was saying before, Deckard to me comes off as a man who is, he looks at anybody who is beneath them as something that needs to be taken out. If you're not... I don't, I'm not going to get into politics here again. I'm going to cut that down. <laughs> but you know how it's like, goes into the minorities thing again, of like, if you're not like me, you need to be killed. And that's what Deckard feels like. He's a man. You can tell that he's a very wealthy guy mm. just by the job he does, by how he dresses. He's impeccably dressed. And like I said, these that kill, you see, is just of a normal kind of, family mm-hmm. couple in a normal neighborhood normal neighborhood it's just like it's almost like decker just picks people at random mm-hmm. and they're just breeders and i'm gonna kill them because they are beneath me yeah but that's his intolerance to and he can't he's, yeah. he has the inability to put himself in anybody else's shoes well, and understand their lives well it's almost like through. well it's almost similar to how you see all these uh rednecks going mm-hmm. and shooting a night breed at the end yep. of it they're mm-hmm. kind of almost extensions of him in some ways yeah but you know they're basically it's almost strange is that they're the middle class or the lower class killing yep. people that are the same mm-hmm. as they are you know in a way see so, it all the time yeah <laughs> but you know, I mean, but as like I said, this movie, I mean, I could go on and on about what I love about this movie. Like you was talking about the makeup effects are mm-hmm. great. You yeah. never see this kind of stuff anymore. It's all CGI really now. But all the, because 
Because all these were made, or cre- I think they said there was 200 of them all total that they did. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think all total. And to be all different and yeah. individual. Took so, some time to create that. Well, they said Barker sketched all of them. Wow. And they made them. The film, it moves at a brisk pace. The only problems I have with the movie, and this isn't a fault, I feel like this movie would work better as a TV show because you could dig in deeper into things. To each storyline of yeah. each character. Yeah, you don't got like two hours and some change yeah. to tell this story. You could do a 13-episode series and dig mm-hmm. in to the breed mythology, know right. more about the characters. Because yeah. that's the one thing I have a problem with about this movie is I don't feel like it can dig deep enough just because it's a mm-hmm. movie and you got so much yeah. in here. Uh, performances, I have no problem with anybody in this movie. I thought they were fine. I have to admit, I think Boone and Lori are the least interesting characters. I would agree. But look at what you got around them, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard to do that when you're going to yeah. be overshadowed by the monsters. But I ain't saying they're bad in the movie. <laughs> I'm just saying they're kind of overshadowed yeah. by it. But that's not their fault. Cronenberg, I thought, was really good in this. I mean, considering he's not really an actor, he was good in this. I mean, he's popped up, like I said, he pops up in little small things here and there, and he's good in there, too. And I thought he was an excellent choice for this. I mean, I'm trying to remember how Barker exactly decided to cast David Cronenberg in a part in a movie, because before that, he's only been in, like, little two-a-minute scene in some of Mm -hmm. his movies. But I don't know. I thought he did a great job. The comic books, if you ever decide to get them, if you can find them, worth checking out too. They continue the story that the movies didn't. So they're worth looking at also. But I mean, I guess, I mean, to kind of sum up here on this movie, I'm going to say if you're interested in watching this movie, I'm going to say go with the director's cut first because that's kind of technically Clive Barker's approved version. If you're interested in watching the theatrical cut just to see what happened as far as here's the studio version they want you to see then watch Clive Barker's version if you're feeling really adventurous watch the cabal cut this on uh on YouTube like I said I mean I could go on and on about this movie so I'm gonna kind of try to stop myself here I guess I'm gonna just try to give my give the final rating for this movie for me and out of uh one uh to ten uh a button face mask uh, one being the worst, ten being the best. Whew, I was leaning going between an eight and a nine on this one, and I think I'm gonna have to go a nine on this. I almost went a nine. I really like this movie. I was really fighting an eight and a nine on this. It was going either be a high eight or a nine on this. And the more I was thinking about, it, I'm like, I gotta go a nine. Yeah, I gotta go a nine on this. Like I said, this movie has its flaws. Don't get me wrong. Clive Barker even admitted. After he got his final cut here, the director's cut, he said, yes, the movie still isn't perfect. He said, there's stuff that got away from me that I wish I would have did better. But he said he can live with it now. And I look at this version, I'm like, yeah, it's not perfect, but I love the ambition of the movie. Yeah, I love how he was swinging for the fences and Mm. he tried his best and he did a pretty good job. Because he said he wanted to make the Star Wars of monster movies with this movie. And like I said, he swung for the fences, didn't quite knock it out of the park, mm-hmm. but he came damn close. And I admire it for that. And like I said, this is this is a movie I just highly recommend. Anybody who's listening to this, 
if you haven't seen Nightbreed, check it out. I mean, you can watch I think it's on Tubi right now. I remember it was on Shudder there for a while. I don't know if it's still on there, but it's on some of the streaming platforms. I mean, definitely mm-hmm. watch this if you haven't seen it. Or if you haven't seen it in a while, watch it again. It's just an amazing movie, and I really hope one day they kept talking about doing a Nightbreed prequel or a sequel of some kind. I even kept hearing about a TV show, but these things kept dying out. I'm hoping one day they do something with this and pick it up, even if it's a remake. Do something with it. There's such rich stuff to play with in this. It's well worth revisiting, I think. With that in my ramble, I'm going to say that is going to be about it for this one. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close the books on Nightbreed. I guess we're going to go into our usual wrap-up here. Feel free to email us at themovieclinic at gmail.com, and that's T-H-A, not T-H-E. And we are on Spotify now. Is no longer Anchor, right? Yeah, I got the email that... It looks like Anchor's switching completely over to Spotify. Yes. So if you even have the Anchor app, it did it on its own. Yeah, so, so you'll notice it when it's It's just there. the Anchor icon changed to a purple Spotify yeah. icon. Yeah. I don't even know if you need both apps. I haven't figured that out. I haven't really looked at that. But yeah, if you listen <clears> to <throat> it on there, that's uh, what yeah. it is now. But of course, a lot of people I talk to yeah, listen to it hooked. on Podbay yeah. and Player FM, various ones mm-hmm. like that. So you can find us out there. And you can also download from the main website, yeah, movieclinic.com. Yeah, you can find it on there. You can find every episode there to download and listen to at your convenience. I guess with that, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to hand it off to Sherry, and she's going to announce what our next episode will be. Did you want to talk about the Dark Shadows podcast? We can one? we can do that right quick if you want to. Okay. I was going to wait to do that if you announced it, but we can. Oh, do were that you? Now. Yeah. Okay, we'll wait. Okay, we'll wait. I didn't. Re- we didn't really talk about when we would talk about okay. it. Okay. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> that's, that's my fault. But yeah, if you want to go ahead and tell us what we're going to do next. Okay. Well, we're going to stay in the '90s. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. 1994's The Crow. The Crow. Uh, Another interesting film to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that went on on that, and not all of it good, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm very interested to talk about this movie because, a little spoiler alert, this and one other movie was my two favorite films of that year. But that's all I'm going to leave it right there on that. And that's our next episode. And talking about uh, the podcast, we were going to do a Dark Shadows podcast. And for right now, it's still in the works, but we've kind of had to back burner it a little bit for yeah, the time being. We've got such a like a busy schedule with this podcast and then just personal yeah. time yeah. to get everything done. I kind of want to get some stuff recorded ahead. And we've really only recorded the introduction and we just I've been trying to fit all this other stuff in. And doing the main podcast here takes a little bit more time right. at, at points than, you know, usual. Yeah. So the Dark Shadows podcast, we're still planning to do it, but we're kind of having, like I said, the kind of back burner. Delay it for yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's on the back burner for the time being. It's still simmering on the stove. It's just on the, <laughs> it's on the back burner. Yeah, right we now. just want to get some stuff saved up and have some bulk yeah call there. it up. get ourselves yeah ahead. so that if i have to take a little bit of time to just have fun myself without sitting in front of a computer because the editing takes a little bit of time especially as long as our episodes are sometimes and you gotta take into account too in case one of us gets sick that and holidays and things all like kinds that. of things so we will make an announcement about the time we're going to get ready to put it out and we'll let you know for sure when that's coming yep and i guess with that we're gonna end the episode and until next time i'm david i'm sherry and we'll talk to you again soon
Bye. Bye.